The weekend just got more entertaining. It's Weekend Joe on Claves Online, driven by Munganast, St. Louis Acura. Hear from some of the big names in St. Louis and national sports every weekend. And now, here's Joe Roderick and me, I'm Andy Hanselman. And welcome on in to another episode of Weekend Joe here on Claves Online, driven by Munganas St. Louis Acura. I am Joe Roderick, joined as always by Andy Hanselman here with you for the next uh, about two hours or so as we got a packed show for you today. One of I, I got to say, Andy, um, in all the years radio and podcasting, this uh, the lineup that we have today is easily one of uh, one of my most favorites that I have, just because of the, I guess the potpourri of guests that we have today. Welcome, uh, welcome on in. How are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Yeah, I was uh, looking at that guest list that you sent me, and uh, it is it's quite impressive. Uh, he's going to be on the program today. I, I suspect that this episode alone could generate 2.3 million downloads. Wow. Wow. You're putting the, uh, you're, you're putting the pressure on uh, for, uh, for this. And it's not so much on me. I'm, I'll put the pressure just on all the guests that they need to retweet or they need to share that they're on. And That's- if they do that, then yeah, then we'll, we'll easily get to that number. I agree wholeheartedly. You guys, you got to you know. I I would send out tweets and send emails, and I would just point some fingers and some chests, and tell them to uh to to, to get off their asses and and start tweeting. I'll tell you what uh, that has been putting this out there because if if we post it, I mean it probably posts about midnight. I think Saturday at midnight. And then it's usually around eight or nine a.m. is when I will send out the first post with all of the guests. And I tell you what, like the social media stuff and the constant posting and everything that uh, that I'm doing for for Klabes Online, it's I mean, it really is a full time job. Like right now, Andy, I need to I, I just realized I need to send out for uh, some posts today for what we have Friday on Klabes Online that I need to make sure that people are uh, are well aware of the interviews and the uh, the stuff that we have available right now, but I do want to mention first. So coming up on the show today, Andy, I'm really excited about this one. And this is one that I think hit me Sunday night, Monday morning that I wanted to get him on. And uh, luckily I have a, uh, I have past interactions with this guy who is, uh, I have seen has been make, making a few rounds. He's been a little bit of a popular guest in national and locally up in Chicago for uh, appearing on the last dance episodes nine and 10 this past weekend. And that is Eric Bischoff, the former, uh, I I don't know. I can't remember exactly what his title was at WCW, but you remember him WCW from the NWO from WWE. He's been in wrestling for so long and now he does a podcast with Conrad Thompson and we uh, we chat with Eric Bischoff for I mean Andy it's about a half an hour long that we go with him. Oh wow, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing that part, Joe. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a fun interview with him. We have Jay Randolph Jr. on the show because there was golf live golf last Sunday and there's live golf again this Sunday. So we uh, yeah we're gonna talk with uh, we're gonna talk with Jay again, and then Andy Julia Conan 
will be on the show. She is an Olympic distance runner from right here in St. Louis. Right here in St. Louis. I found out this week she went to high school with Klaibs' daughter. So found that out this weekend, too. So we have her on. And then uh, this one just kind of fell into my lap. Do you remember Dimitri Young, the uh, the former baseball player with the uh, Tigers, Nationals, was actually drafted by the Cardinals? Yeah, he was actually a Cardinal. Uh, he played a lot of time in uh, Cincinnati as well. Yeah, and uh, we uh, so that one it, it, that one truly just fell into my lap, <laughs> and I am uh, I am very uh, very excited to uh, to have him on. Did did you and Dimitri become fast friends? Uh, you know what? We, we have a lot in common and I feel like I can go back to the, uh, to the well on that one. Yes. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So talk wrestling. That's, that's why that's how he fell into my lap. Yes. <laughs> of course it did. Yep. So <laughs> very, yeah, very much. So looking forward to, uh, to Dimitri young, the meat hook is, uh, was his nickname and, uh, Andy, I'm just going to share this with you um, in emailing back and forth. He signs his emails with Dimitri Demithook Young. Really? Yes. I, I loved it. I yeah. saw that and I was so I, I just I thought that was so great. That's pretty good. Yeah. So. Uh, so, yeah, that's what we have coming up on the uh, on the show here for us uh, today. You're golfing a lot this weekend, huh? I am. I'm uh, playing at Gateway this afternoon. Scheduled to have a tee time at Normandy in the morning. Uh, the weather is not looking like it's going to cooperate with that. And then another tee time on uh, on Saturday afternoon. You're going to take Sunday and Monday off. I'm going to probably be golfed out. Yeah. At that point. So. <laughs> but uh, yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to be a nice long Memorial Day weekend. I'm. Uh, you know, of course, we're uh, recording this on Friday, and I'm off work today, so. Uh, we decided to take a little extra holiday at the uh, at the old office, and so we're uh, everybody's hanging out at home today. Yeah, I um, so I yeah, I got up and ran already this morning. I'm planning and running a uh, a half marathon this weekend, and constantly just looking at the uh, at the um, weather just to see when those two hours are going to be are going to be free for me to possibly do that. It's it's been uh, it's just been cloudy and ugly for the uh, for the past few days here. It's it's kind of annoying. Yeah, you know it's um, it was supposed to be a beautiful week weather-wise. Uh, there was a, a big ridge of high pressure out to the west that just never quite made it here, mostly because of that Hurricane Arthur, Tropical Storm Arthur, that was kind of off the coast of the Carolinas that just kind of clogged up our system, and it was just kind of dreary and rainy all week, and it's just no fun. Is that what it was? I, I didn't look that deep into why it was because I, I did, I, I had looked and I, I saw that the forecast was supposed to be really nice and then it, it suddenly changed. Yeah, the great Chris Higgins from the uh, from the Two Fox did a Facebook Live talking about the weather, talking about why, uh, why the forecast from last week got busted up so bad. And it was because uh, that hurricane was just kind of hanging out off the coast of the Carolinas uh, and really just clogged up the jet stream to where nothing where nothing could, could get out. As a matter of fact, Joe, on Tuesday evening, rain was pushing back into the area from the east. Okay. It, so the hurricane was actually pushing the low-pressure system back into us, where it was making it rain even more. You're really big into that weather stuff, aren't you? 
Uh, when it comes to like big snowstorms and kind of weather patterns like that, yeah. Kind of a, I, I kind of nerd out about it a little bit. I have gotten into the sense where it's just okay. When can I run? That's that's really all I look at for. Uh, that's what most people do. When can I run? When can I play golf? When can I, you know, wh- what's going to be happening? But yeah, just kind of knowing the why behind of what the why behind all mm-hmm. of it is kind of fun too. I mean, there's you know, of course, there's dozens and dozens of other factors that I have no clue about because, alas, I am not a professional meteorologist. Uh, I um I'm I'm very I'm thinking because I I have not recorded the interview yet with Julia Conan, uh because you know I I have and I've changed a lot over the past few months of the weather that I will run in but I'm very very um interested in knowing what you know like what her limits are as far as cold or rain or thing because I mean you don't get to fifteen hundred miles in four months by by picking and choosing what weather you're going to go out and uh, jog in. Yeah, when you to- when we talked about her earlier, you told me that that she that there was a goal that she was like she was going to try and run 1000 miles a month. Was that what it was? No, 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 she had posted at the end of April that she had already logged 1500 miles in the okay. in 2020. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, probably not real picky. I bet she goes out and runs when it's under 30 degrees. I've started doing that. Like I, so what I've started training myself. It used to be I wouldn't go out and run under forty degrees. Right. But now I've started to kind of just push through and stop being a, a baby about things. And like when it's fifty, I'll go out in shorts and a t-shirt. So that way, when it's thirty, I can go. Okay, long sleeves will be fine today. Right. And how's that working out for you? I mean, I'm doing it. And it's just fine, right? It's a little there, cold. A little cold on your lungs. There's times I'm not happy about it. Right. <laughs> I hear but, that. Yeah, I, that's it's pretty much. I, I mean, I guess how to uh, how to describe it. I guess is just yeah. I'm not I'm not thrilled when I do it, but and it's like my plan. I think this weekend is going to be 6 a.m. on Saturday or Sunday. It's whenever it's whenever it's free. But I've had so much fun just mapping out. Like, okay, here's what's 13 miles from my house because I just want to run the same thing every day. Every time I do it, that bore me. That would bore me too much. So, you know, I've, I've been kind of taking up a little walking slash jogging program. Mm-hmm. There's, there's not a whole lot of jogging going on, Joe. I'm telling you that right now. And so I've been doing that. I've been trying to figure out like, what's a, what's a good mile and a half path around my house. You know, what, what can I do? And luckily, you know, there's all kinds of bike trails and, and streets and other fun stuff. And, I know where where to avoid hills, <laughs> things like that. <laughs> you get on those hills. That's gonna that's gonna help you out. I do some hills. There's, I mean, I, I I can't avoid the hill coming up to my house, so I know I'm gonna have that hill. <laughs> right. <laughs> what has it been like? What has it been like out on the golf course? I, I know we'll get into it with Jay here in a little bit, but what has it been like going out there, doing the whole one person to a cart thing? Uh, the way, I mean, get, once you get on the green or on the tee box, I mean, what, what is that like? Give me, give me an idea. You know, Joe, I really don't see a whole lot of difference, uh, from before, uh, the one person do a cart thing is fine. You know, most people would prefer actually to be in a cart by themselves because then, you know, you don't have to worry about helping, you know, playing somebody else's ball. You can just go take care of your stuff. Of course, you know, you still got, and you help guys. 
you know, find find lost balls that you know find balls that they can't find and um, and that kind of stuff. On the tee box, you know, I just if someone's standing too close to me, I just kind of just take a step back. Um, I'm not real picky about. It. I just I don't want to be touched. I don't want to be hugged, which makes it difficult to play golf with some with some of our friends, right? Because they they like to touch and 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 hug. But um, and even on the greens, uh, you know, just the so they they they've actually made it a little bit easier with putting. In that, if the putt, if you if you if you put a ball and it goes over the cup, or kind of lips out. It still counts because hmm. something in the cup preventing the ball from dropping. So there's a lot more lip outs than there has right. been in the past. So you get to count it as a you know as a as a as a made putt. So that part's been good. Um, as far as like you know, you just naturally social distance in golf. I mean, you're you're never, you're hardly ever, you know, less than six feet away from somebody. And if you're, you know, and the only place it would be, it would like, like you said, on, on the tee boxes and on the greens. And at that point, you, if you're, if you feel like you're too close to somebody, you just take a step back and nobody thinks anything of it. So it's, but it's been fun. You know, it's, it's been, it's been a, a good outlet to be able to get out of the house and, and go find something to do. Um, when they're in a, in a day and age when there isn't a whole lot to go out and do. Yeah. And, uh, I, I, you know, we keep saying it. I feel like every week we're getting closer and closer to the return of uh, of pro sports. And I saw Derek Gould Friday morning, his article about how Bush Stadium is going to be opening up for players to come up there and work out. I know there's still a handful of players down in Jupiter who have been doing little things here and there. And I would imagine that the Cardinals half of Roger Dean Stadium will be opening soon. I know the Marlins half, uh, the Marlins side is already open. The Cardinals just haven't opened theirs fully yet. But when that happens, you'll you'll see more more of that as the players that are down there start to make their way back to St. Louis for the start of the uh, for the start of the season. And we uh, hopefully, I, I thought it was going to be this week that we were going to get some idea of when baseball would be starting and now it looks like maybe maybe another week out but the players going back I, I guess that's a good thing if the players are going there to work out it, it tells me that everybody thinks that there's going to be some sort of agreement reached as to when when everything will start and I think you're also seeing too that some of these states you know you're, you're seeing a state like California which two weeks ago it was Colleges will probably be closed and there won't be any sports in 2020 to now we're getting, okay, you know what? Hey, we're going to start opening stuff up. I think we can get sports here just with no fans in the stadiums. So you're seeing very, I think very fast. You're seeing some of these states starting to reopen and the plans in place. The wheels are starting to move a little quicker. Joe, with the, with the CDC uh, article that came or the article from the CDC that came out this week, saying how the coronavirus does not spread as easily from surfaces as they first thought. That's a big game changer for a lot of, for a lot of different things. I mean, obviously, you know, and the way you catch it is from having it on your hands or, you know, get walking here or having somebody directly sneeze or cough on you, which, you know, you got to think about in life. How often does that really happen that somebody directly sneezes or coughs on you? Right. Uh, <laughs> Unless you're someone who's really rude, or they're like four, um, 
but yeah, but having that come out to where it does not it 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 doesn't transfer as easily from those surfaces as they first thought is going to be a big game changer in how, in how people determine they're going to reopen up. Yeah, it's uh, you know as as we keep going, we uh, we hopefully get some more answers over the next few weeks. Hey, I just want to give people an idea of what we have up on Klabes online. Andy, did you happen to catch uh, lunch with Klabes and Joe this past Monday? I caught a little bit of it. I was kind of busy at at work uh, on on Monday, and uh, and I just I just caught a little bit of it. We uh, well, it's up there online. It's always going to be uh, available for you up on the uh up on the website up on facebook uh on Klabes' twitter account I, I don't know why it didn't post on my twitter account but that's neither here nor there um as, as i i thought that's you know just user error on my part i thought i had it set up to broadcast on both and it didn't but Klabes has more followers than me so that's all that matters uh it's up on I, the facebook page it's up on youtube and then the audio for it is up on ClabesOnline.com. Lots of stuff to, uh, going on. And I found out this week, too, I didn't realize this, that Google Podcasts is also, uh, they have switched over from Google Play to Google Podcasts. And the uh, the podcast is also available on Google, too. So you can, uh, you can listen to it there as well. As I scroll through, this past week, we had... Uh, this day in history, each and every day, of course, we also had the uh, the lunch with Klabes and Joe. We had Derek Gould on the uh, on the podcast this week. Dave Matter on the podcast this week. Clarence Gaines with the final episodes of the uh, going over the final episodes of the Last Dance, and um, Dr. Rick Lehman also available uh, should be available. I think now Saturday morning up on the uh, up on the podcast too. So just lots and lots of interviews each and every day available on clabesonline.com and now we've added the uh, the lunch with Klabes and Joe and uh, Andy I I have I'm trying so hard to just keep improving the way that the video of it looks on that. I I added a rundown on the uh, on the side of uh things I on saw that. I saw that yes. at a lot. I know. That was something that came to me about 15 minutes before the show started and I thought can I make this work? And I threw something together and however I put it up there was not the way it was intended to be up there. And I'll tell you what, Andy, it looked a lot better. My mistake looked a lot better than what I was actually going to go with. It was off to the right-hand side, correct? Yes. And where'd you want it? You, you want it in the middle of you two? No. So I, so I, this is something that I'm guessing that people listening will not understand because trust me up until about three weeks ago, I didn't understand this. I wanted it. To, the one I made was red. It was all red, the same color as the Claves online logo. I guess I saved it as a PNG file and not a JPEG file, okay. and, which made it transparent so therefore, the red did not show up. It showed up as just black and white, so there was no color added in it. And I thought that looked a lot better in the end than it being colorful. Oh, I see. Yes. So again, this is I, something I, that made no I, sense look, to me three weeks ago. But now after I did it and I realized my mistake, I thought, oh, okay, that looks a lot better. Yeah, I thought it looked pretty good. I didn't think anything of it, so. Yeah. But so, I, did, I did like your rundown. I, I saw that and I, and I liked that. So, 
yeah, so that's something we're going to uh, we'll we'll keep adding on to the uh, to the list. So, um, did you? Uh, the, so yeah, the last dance. We we have Eric Bischoff coming up next. And as we are recording this, uh, I I know if you watched the last dance, there was a lot of there was a lot of Jerry Sloan in there for the past few days. Uh, for the past, I guess the last two years, as the Bulls played the Jazz in '97 and '98, Jerry Sloan was the head coach of the Jazz, longtime head coach of the Jazz for 23 seasons. Uh, he uh, he passed away Friday morning. So he uh, so the last dance um, was you know I, I I thought in no way painted Jerry Sloan in a in a bad light. It kind of played him as a, a playful guy. Uh, I heard great stories about how well he worked with the media and how he was kind of the last of a you know, certain breed of coach that he would go in the media lunchroom and sit and eat with them and have uh, had a great relationship with the media. But he passed away Friday morning at the age of uh, of 78. I, I guess in a way, it, it's it's sad that The Last Dance wasn't able to kind of pay tribute to Jerry Sloan, um, knowing that he was um, that, that he was dying of, uh, I guess, of Parkinson's and dementia. Yeah, that's awfully sad that he passed away. I, I, yeah, he, the I thought the last dance, you know, didn't really, you know, do him any injustice. I thought it was they, 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 uh, like, like, like you said, Joe, they, they painted him in a, in a very good light on the on the program. Well, it wasn't his fault that Jordan just, uh, <laughs> you know, if anything, you know, they how they had George Carl kind of be the bad guy in the Sonic series for not yeah. uh, not saying hi to Jordan. If anything. You know, Jerry Sloan did nothing to ever piss Jordan off. It was it was Carl Malone that uh, that pissed Jordan off, and by Brian Russell that upset him and drove him to uh, to win the game. So uh, Jerry Sloan did nothing for that. Jerry Sloan also a former Bull too. So I would imagine there was some respect there with uh, with Jordan and uh, and Jerry Sloan. But uh, hey, we are going to take our first break. So here is how. The uh, the show's going to line up. We're going to have Eric Bischoff coming up next. It's a uh, an interview I'm very excited for people to hear. After uh, after Eric Bischoff, we'll go to Jay Randolph Jr., then Olympic runner Julia Conan, and then a former Major League Baseball player, former Cardinal draft pick Dimitri Young. Dimitri Hook is going to be on the uh, on the program too, followed with some crack slippers. So a jam packed show for you. Today here on Weekend Joe, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura and Andy. Right now, right now, tell uh tell your bride this one because Am uh, because Munganass Acura they want to show their appreciation to all first responders and healthcare workers. Andy St. Louis Munganass St. Louis Acura is offering seven hundred and fifty dollars towards buying or leasing a new. 2020 Acura right now. So $750 towards buying or leasing a brand new 2020 Acura. I know you said you were in the uh you were in the car business looking for a new one. There you go. $750 for your uh your healthcare worker wife at Munganas St. Louis Acura. You can contact them today for more information. That's incredible. I'm going to I need to I need to get on the phone with Amy Pronto. Yep. Find out, uh, find out that deal and what Munganass can do for you. That deal good through July six, July six. So plenty of uh, plenty of time to act on that. But it's only good for 2020. So make sure you act fast to get on that. We will take our first break. Got some interviews coming up right after this. It's Weekend Joe, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura here on Claves Online. Recent events have shown that life can turn in an instant. 
This has caused many people to realize that estate planning is essential. The Inskip Law Firm is here to help with everything from trusts and wills to power of attorney, deeds, and probate. They have systems in place to service your needs without having to have an in-person consultation, flat fees so that you know what you're paying ahead of time, and they make the whole process easy. Call now, 314-818-0344. Just a quick chat and you decide together what services are right for your situation. That's the Inskip Law Firm, I-N-S-K-I-P. And remember, the choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertising. And welcome back into Weekend Joe here on Claves Online as we welcome on our next guest, uh, one of the stars of a very, very popular wrestling podcast but well if you're my age you remember him from several years ago on monday nitro and we saw a lot of him in the uh, last dance documentary he is eric bischoff and he joins us now eric what's going on man how are you you know I, i'm doing so well i almost feel guilty about it but i'm i'm, I'm getting through it you are uh, now you're up in where wyoming right now so all of this uh, is that correct yeah, I live outside of, um, I live in a little town called Cody, Wyoming. It's about 9,000 people, and it's uh, about 45 miles east of the east entrance of Yellowstone National Park. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of isolated up here in the mountains in the northwest corner of Wyoming. I was going to say, so quarantine life shouldn't be that difficult for you, right? I'll be honest, it's one of the reasons I feel guilty, because, you know, <laughs> my, my life... <laughs> My life hasn't really changed. You know, my wife and I don't go out a lot. You know, we, 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 we love to cook and we're really good at it. So, you know, we don't miss going out to eat because we enjoy cooking so much together. Um, I don't go out to bars really, so I'm not, I don't miss that. Um, and the rest of everything else that's going on is pretty much the same. So my life hasn't been really affected at all directly. So uh, Sunday night, the final episode of The Last Dance uh, showcase. Now, I guess it was episode three. So the second weekend was the Dennis Rodman episode. And they talked a little bit about his time in WCW then. At what point during the last five weeks, I, I guess, or did your phone start blowing up before this past Sunday? Or was this Sunday kind of the one where uh, people started to hit you up? No, I, I saw a lot of a lot of social media activity uh, in the very beginning, and I, I again I haven't watched the series. I'm going to watch it uh, very soon, but I haven't watched it yet, so I don't know the order in which things happened. But about a week ago or so, um, evidently in an interview with Michael Jordan, um, he had some rather harsh words for Harvey Schiller, who used to yes. be my boss at WCW. So I noticed a lot of that. And I knew, obviously, there was some conversation about WCW just based on my social media feed. But Sunday night, it blew up. I mean, Monday morning, I got up, and there must have been 15 or 20 direct messages from radio stations and people who I've interviewed with before. And then, you know, just the regular social media feed, Twitter feed, was ridiculous. So, yeah, it must have been pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the Harvey Schiller one, I remember. I I actually sent you a uh, video from the time that he appeared on Monday Night Raw. That's right. That, you did. Yes. <laughs> right. And that was. 
that was a name. It didn't really ring a bell to me. So I'm I'm 35 years old. So names like that, if they just had a one-off on Nitro, I'm not going to remember that from back in the day. But I had people reach out to me and ask me if that was the same person. So that's when I started to do research. And that's a, I mean, to go from running the Olympics to then being hired by Ted Turner to being involved in the world of wrestling, that's that's quite a uh, that's quite an interesting life he led. Yeah, interesting indeed. You know, and he's done a lot of different things. Um, and he's had a very his life is far more interesting and much more lucrative than mine has been. But uh, <laughs> he worked for George Steinbrenner. You know, when he left Turner Broadcasting during the shortly after I left, actually. Um, he ended up going to work for George Steinbrenner in New York Yankees for a while too. So, uh, he's been there. He's done it a couple different ways, a couple different times. I think there's a lot of people out there that would probably argue with how interesting your life has been comparing it to his and some of the stories that you have. And I should mention the stories that you share each and every week on 83 weeks, the, uh, the podcast you do with, uh, with Conrad Thompson. We'll get into a little bit of that more later, but of course the reason everybody was blowing you up was because Dennis Rodman, he was talked about in the last dance and they showed a lot of highlights from when he was on, he was in WCW and he was a part of the NWO, which gave you a lot of screen time. First off, did, did the Last Dance documentary, did they reach out to you at all to get any quotes from you for this? No, they didn't. And uh, I don't know. It seemed to me, you know, and I have watched a little bit of, of The Last Dance, you know, kind of clips back and forth. It seemed to me, for based on what I've watched so far, which is only probably in total about 25 minutes, uh, they stuck to a lot of people who were really kind of at the nucleus of the NBA and the Bulls and his opponents and opposing coaches and things like that. So I didn't notice that they got too far out of the kind of core basketball universe, but maybe they did. And I just haven't seen it yet. Did they? Do you know if they reached out to Hogan at all? I don't know. Okay. Uh, so let take us back to that time. Whose idea was it to bring Dennis Rodman into WCW, and how did how did all of those negotiations start? Uh, well, it started um, for me. It started with a phone call from Hulk, who uh, called me. I was in a meeting in Atlanta. I was at the Airport Marriott. I remember exactly where I was. I had just walked into the hotel for a. I had a meeting like at seven thirty at night, so I just got into the hotel and my cell phone rang and it was Hulk, and he said, "Hey, I just got off the phone with Dennis Rodman. He'd like to come in." It's like, well, okay, that's abstract, but sure. And he said, "Do you want his number? Do you want to give him a call?" So I did. I think I talked to his manager, Dwight Manley, first, and talked to Dwight, and eventually got on the phone with uh, Dennis and. Next thing I knew, I was sitting down with Dwight Manley, who was his manager at the time, and he also managed Carl Malone, coincidentally. And uh, we we worked out a deal in pretty short order, and we were off and running. And so when was the first time you met Dennis? Uh, it would have been sometime in 97 when we, when we first worked with him, probably uh, – a week or two after, I think the first time I met him, I actually went to Chicago because he was, you know, he obviously was in the middle of the season. They were playing. I don't think they were even in the playoffs yet when I, when I signed him. Um, and I went to Chicago and I actually went to a practice uh, where he was practicing and, and I met him after the practice. 
And when you, everybody at that time, I mean, the ratings that wrestling was getting, the Monday Night Wars during that time, I, people knew who you were. So when Eric Bischoff is showing up to the Birdo Center in Chicago, are, are people interested as to why, or do they know that Dennis is working with you? What is what is that like? No, I you know I waited for Dennis. I was in somebody's office. I was in a vacant office. I didn't really want to. Uh, commingle if you will i wanted to be discreet and uh, i wasn't really worried about too many people noticing me but you know i was at their place of work you know and, and i you know if somebody were to come into my business and in the middle of a work day while i'm conducting my business and walk in while they're waiting to talk to one of my employees i would i would find that you know a little inappropriate. So rather than be that guy, I, I went off and kind of hid and I told, told white manly where I was. And, uh, after it was all over, Dennis, I got Dennis and I got together. So nobody really saw me other than Dwight and Dennis. So what were the ideas? What were, uh, when, when Hulk Hogan comes to you and says that Dennis wants to come in here, what are the, some of the initial ideas was what we saw on TV, what was always planned T take me through some of the uh, creativeness of, uh, of bringing Dennis Rodman into WCW. Well, it was clear, you know, NWO was hotter than hell. Uh, and if you were going to cast an NWO movie with a celebrity athlete, you know, as a, as, as a, uh, making a cameo, you know, Dennis Rodman was probably the ideal person to cast in that role. So it was a foregone conclusion that, you know, Dennis, however, we got there, Dennis was going to be a part of the NWO. We didn't, you know, we didn't sit down and kind of craft an entire plan because it, it was very spontaneous. You know, Dennis, by the time I, I had a conversation, Dwight Manley met Dennis Rodman, got paper and ink together and had my first meeting with Dennis. We're talking about a 10 day window, maybe. So it all came together really fast and we ended up, you know, putting him on television in short order. So a lot of the creative was done after we signed him knowing that he was going to be a part of the NWO. So it was just a matter of plugging him in based on whatever story or where we were at in the story at the time in terms of the arc and what Dennis avail Dennis's availability was because that was a little bit that uh, was a little bit unpredictable too. So we couldn't plan too much. We had to kind of stay fluid and take advantage of Dennis's availability when he was available on a Monday night, which wasn't too often. Um, but we you know, it worked out. You talk about his availability. I mean, the guy left the NBA Finals between Game 3 and 4 to come do Nitro with you, which is something I had no idea about. As I look back and remember that story, I always thought that it happened after the Finals were done or maybe it happened before 97, 98. I, my, the timeline that I have, I don't remember when, what week happened, you know, what happened what week. But when they talk about it in episodes nine and 10 of The Last Dance, and they say that he gets on his own jet after game three, flies to you guys to film and hit DDP with a chair, and then goes to episode, then goes to game four, that, that would never happen in today's world of sports, right? Well, that was 98, you know, and that, yeah. that was after I had been working with Dennis. You know, Dennis first started working with us, I think, in 97. So by that time, we had a pretty good relationship with Dennis. Dennis and Hulk became very close and still are to this day. Um, Dennis, you know, he got the wrestling bug, man. He had it in his veins. He loved it. So, I mean, that was, I, that was Dennis's idea. I didn't suggest that he skip practice. I, I would have never done that. I would have, it would never have occurred to me to do that. 
so that was all Dennis. You know, he found out where we were, uh, where Nitro was that Monday night, and said, "Hey, brother, I can make that." I said, "Really? <laughs> what about practice?" He goes, "I can make that." <laughs> so, okay, let's make that work. And by the what? way, I think that was my jet, not mine personally, but I think I paid for that jet to get him to uh, Nitro and, and fly him back. I'm pretty sure. And with all of the, I mean, what was, I was going to say, it probably was worth it for the reaction that it got and the buzz that it got. When he first appeared on Nitro, do you remember what that feedback was like? Do you remember what you know people were talking about Tuesday morning after seeing that on Monday? You know, in general, I do. I don't, you know, remember specific comments, but um, I, th- I think there were there were two um, there were two worlds, right? There was the what I call peripheral wrestling. I hate to call them media, but I guess they are. You know, the dirt sheet writers, the people who make a living criticizing things and you know picking things apart and pretending they know more than they really do about the wrestling industry and make money convincing people as such. Um, you know, they were down on it. And, you know, if, 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 if you were a writer or if somebody was a writer of a, of a dirt sheet or an online site and they hated me or they hated WCW or they loved WWF, everybody had an agenda. And if if they had an agenda that was anti WCW, of course, they picked it apart. Bischoff just wanting to hang around celebrities. This is bullshit. They've got too many talents that aren't getting a push. Why aren't they giving this guy a push? Why are they giving the basketball guy a push? All the typical dirt sheet, nonsensical bullshit that that lives in that universe. That was one world. And then you had the rest of the world, which was peripheral wrestling fans people that yeah they kind of watch it every once in a while but they don't watch it religiously and they don't live or die by it um yeah sports fans who really weren't wrestling fans at all but all of a sudden knew what nitro was certainly they knew who hulk hogan was and it stirred up a ton of controversy created a bunch of awareness and you know for about a two-week period Almost every morning, Monday through Friday, if you were driving through any major city in the United States that had a sports talk uh, station in their FM market or AM market, or if it was a classic rock you know, type station, it had the morning drive combinations where they go through the newspaper and pick out headlines and discuss it. Um, those people were buzzing for like 10 days, two weeks straight. So we got a tremendous amount of publicity. And that, uh, I mean, you you think about it back then, too. I mean, you're talking 97, 98, when places like ESPN hadn't fully embraced wrestling yet for what it is, as being they sports were, entertainment. They, they, weren't, they weren't quite desperate then, right? <laughs> as, soon as, they, as soon as they got desperate and the wheels fall, started falling off the ESPN train, they went, wait a minute, let's go get this wrestling stuff over here, because at least they get eyeballs and we don't. Right, Same. and... I mean, they're, you know, you're looking at back then where they're probably mocking Dennis Rodman or saying, oh, it's fake. Why would he do that? And, you know, but at your time, you know, it it was it was controversial. And you know what? It it led to you guys getting a lot more eyes. Well, I mean, you go back, you know, look at 97, look at 98 and how topical Dennis Rodman was not just in the NBA and certainly not just in WCW, but. He was everywhere. 
You know, he was showing up in bookstores signing books in wedding dresses. He was rumored to marry Madonna. He was spending a little bit of quality time with, uh, oh, my God, Carmen Electra. How could I forget Carmen Electra? Yeah, how can you forget? I was just about to bring her up anyway. How did you forget that name? Yeah, well, I could... (laughs) I, I could I could tell you a story about. Oh no, Carmen I was about to ask that story. Yeah, because I I want to say I've talked about this. So when Eric and Conrad were in St. Louis, uh, what was it, about a year and a half ago? I think you guys yeah. were here in town for eighty three weeks live. I um I was your I guess Mike man in the uh, in the crowd helping out with uh with that, and I believe that's where you told the story of the first time you met Carmen Electra. Is that is that right? Yeah, but Joe, we got to leave that. That's a strictly a live show because if okay. I lay that out here, then it's going to be all over the universe. And, uh, you know, I don't have that many really, really great stories <laughs> that I can use when I, when I do a live show that captivates the audience. And you heard that story, and I know that you know what I'm talking about. It's a very captivating story, to say the least. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to go there here, and I hope your listeners and, and followers and viewers understand. I, I think I, I think they will. Um, if if I, I I could say that it is very much worth the price of admission to uh, to go and watch one of the eighty three weeks live. So as a uh, I mean as a person that you worked with and I as you know I I work with a uh, former wrestler that you you once employed. I understand how difficult at times it can be to work with some wrestlers. How did Dennis Rodman and working with him kind of equal working with uh pro wrestlers i i found dennis to be easier in a way <laughs> um and you know not not everybody that's a pro wrestler that i worked with you know they, they, it's different today you know back in the back in the mid 90s late 90s even when there were two big companies and you know talent really had options and they could leverage one against the other and you know, in all kinds of different ways, um, it was, they were a little bit tougher to manage, you know, uh, nowadays it's, it's, it's more corporate. It's kind of like working for the bank of America, you know, and they're very today. So much of the talents are conformist because they have to be, if you make too much noise, you know, you're out the door or you're demoted onto the roster to the point you wish you were out the door and they won't let you go because they don't want you to go anywhere else. So it's a different environment today. But, you know, in the mid 90s, at least for me and and I think some others, you know, the wrestling talent was a little bit of a pain in the ass when they weren't happy. And Dennis was different. Now, Dennis came with his own baggage, but we knew that going in. We knew that Dennis, if you if you wanted him to be somewhere at noon, tell him 10 a.m. If you want him to be there at 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 2 p.m., tell him noon, right? And you just had to work around that. And oftentimes, like we you know we'd go to work out, or, you know, to train Dennis. I, I wasn't training up there, but I was there. I was part of it, but I wasn't in the ring with him, obviously. Uh, Hulk Hogan would be maybe DDP, maybe a couple other people there to kind of help. You know, just getting him familiar with the the basics and fundamentals of of what goes on inside of a ring. And Dennis would show up late. You know, um, sometimes he'd smell like Grey Goose. <laughs> this was probably before Grey Goose, but you get my point. You could tell he'd been out and partying a little bit. Um, and he'd walk in and he'd be wearing his sunglasses, and he'd be moving so slow. 
and he'd be so non-responsive that, it, you know, it was almost like he was sleepwalking his way to the ring. You know, it's like, is he really awake? We should check him, you know, poke him in the ribs, make sure he's really awake. And once he got into the ring and once it was time to work, he was 100% focused. But it was just a little bit of a challenge getting him to that point. Once he did, he was f- so unique because he he was such a gifted athlete and his mind works in a very um, unique way, I think. Typically, you know, and we worked with other pro athletes. You know, I, I worked with Kevin Green, who was a, you know, all pro. I think he was a linebacker. I'm not sure yep. what his position was. Um, played in the Super Bowl. I mean, played with Steelers, Carolina Panthers. I mean, he's super athlete, right? And even a guy like Kevin, it would take him just a little bit to kind of get used to the unique athletic kind of things that he was required to do in the ring because it was completely different than what he was used to doing since he was probably eight years old. Right. And, and it was different, but Dennis, you could show him something once or twice, maybe, and he'd have it. He'd he'd just have it. Not only have the mechanics, but he would have the timing, which was really one of the harder things to, to get, you know, inexperienced talent comfortable with is timing but he had impeccable timing. He had almost a photographic memory and he was great to work with as long as you planned accordingly. <laughs> and how did that compare to when you guys worked with Carl Malone? Carl Malone was Carl Malone may have been the perfect example of a celebrity professional athlete. His work ethic was second to none. He was kind of the opposite of Dennis when it came to being professional, showing up on time, putting in the work, the right attitude. Uh, I'm not going to say Carl was quite as, uh, didn't quite have the photographic memory and kind of instantaneous ability to learn things as quickly as Dennis, but there wasn't a lot of daylight behind it. They were both phenomenal athletes. Dennis just had this unique ability. I, I, I swear, I think he had a photographic memory when it came to physicality. You could just show him something one or two times and he'd do it. Whereas an average, very talented athlete might have to spend 20 minutes on it, 30 minutes on it before they started getting comfortable so they could walk through it physically. Dennis would watch somebody do it and go, oh, okay, yeah, I got that. And do it. It was crazy. It's uh, like I said, the uh, the interesting people that you have met and the interesting things that you have seen in your career. I uh, it's it's out there, and I, I think a lot of people would say you should write a book. And you've written what? How many books have you written about your your life? Only one. I wrote only one. Contro- yeah. yeah, controversy creates cash. When I was I was still at WWE when I wrote that book. I think in two thousand four or five. So, um, you know, it covers everything that needed to be yeah. covered during that period of time, and. I don't think I've really done anything all that interesting since then. So, you know, if I do a book, it'll be like an ebook that's about eight pages long. But everybody can hear you each and every week. 83 weeks is the uh, is the podcast you do with Conrad Thompson. As I scroll through every single podcast that Conrad does, what day uh, does that one come out? Uh, we, we drop our show first thing Monday morning, 6 a.m. Eastern time Monday morning. All right, so you guys are a uh, Monday morning, and you have uh, upcoming the. Uh, you guys are going to go back and do a rewatch of last year's Double or Nothing uh, coming up, the AEW pay per view, correct? Yeah, in fact, right after I get done uh, recording here with you, I'm going to drop in and watch that pay per view and make notes so I can speak intelligently and authoritatively about it. 
um, or at least give opinion, whatever. <laughs> Sounds good. And uh, I, I should ask, I mean, you have you watched, have you been following wrestling without fans these, uh, these past few uh, months? You know, I watched WrestleMania. I watched Money in the Bank. I dropped in on AEW a couple times. I dropped in on SmackDown a couple times. I can't do it, man. I can't do it. Unless somebody's got a gun in my mouth and forcing me to watch it, I just can't get myself to do it. It's just, it's painful. I, I, you know, and, and, I, and I don't want to be critical because I'm not in, and I, trust me, you know, Animal knows this. He probably went through it at one point in his career. We've all had to perform in front of really, really small audiences. I think the smallest audience I ever performed in front of live was probably 75 people or 100 people. And even that, at least you've got a crowd there to interact with. It may not be a lot of energy, but at least there are people there to interact with. I personally, as a performer, I... I know I could get through it, but it would be so much different than performing in front of a live audience. And I hats off to every one of them who's attempted, not attempted, but have given a hundred percent to try to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. But man, I, I can't watch it. You know, when I, and I made these comments about WrestleMania, you know, and I, I see the talent coming out on a soundstage, basically called the performance center, but it's, it's a soundstage for all intents and purposes. And they're coming out, they're coming out and they're, they're working the crowd. They're doing the same things in their entrance that they would do if there were 50,000 people there, but there's nobody there. And that only exacerbates the weirdness for me. It's like, what are you doing? What do you, what, what do you, you know, or you see somebody standing on a ring apron, stomping their feet and pounding on the turnbuckle, trying to get the crowd behind them. It's like, what are you doing that for? There's nobody there, dumbass. <laughs> but every time I see that, it just it it may it tilts it like twenty five degrees on its side, and I just I can't watch it. So I probably watch a total of six minutes of wrestling, other than WrestleMania. I, I watched all of WrestleMania because I was I was going to cover it on a podcast. So I, I watched all of that. But aside from WrestleMania and Money in the Bank, I probably haven't watched six minutes of wrestling in the last three months. Are you uh, are you entertained by the? theatrical matches i guess is the best way to uh to put them that they're they're kind of overproducing directing the matches like the boneyard match or like the money in the bank uh the boneyard match uh i was definitely excited about uh as well as the firefly funhouse which i think was of the two i think the firefly funhouse was actually in some respects better because i think it told a much more relatable story and there was a uh, nod to you in that too well, it's aside from that, but it was, it was really about, you know, Bray Wyatt, you know, he's got two personalities, you know, and, and, and the demon character, not the demon character, but you know what I mean? The, the, the fiend, the, uh, yeah. the fiend character is his, 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 uh, other personality that's kind of getting revenge for all of the things that Bray, you know, has to carry around as a burden throughout his career. I love that premise. I found it to be very interesting in the way they set it up and the way that story unfolded, the way John Cena reacted to it all. He revealed kind of a vulnerability that we've never seen in John Cena when all of a sudden during, you know, towards the end of that scene, when, when um, Bray Wyatt was really confronting him about actually being kind of selfish and greedy in his own way, you could see it on John's face that he realized, oh my gosh, 
what he's saying is true. And in that moment, he didn't say much. It was all here, you know, which is a, which is great acting, by the way, tip, tip of the hat to John. But, you know, when you see that and realize as the, uh, while you're watching it as an audience member, wow, he's, he's actually getting to John because that's a vulnerable, that's an Achilles heel. And Bray Wyatt was whacking him down, whacking John down to size with his words and taking away his power if this would have been a Marvel movie instead of a, a, a WrestleMania cinematic match. So I found the technique that they used to tell that story was so um, advanced for what we're used to seeing in wrestling that I really loved it. Now, Money in the Bank, you know, that's 25 minutes I'll never get back in my life. And, and I'm angry about it. <laughs> really? I didn't like it at all. I didn't like it. Part of the reason I don't think I liked it is be- because of Boneyard and be- and be- and because of um oh Firefly my Funhouse. Funhouse. Firefly Funhouse. Okay. I need more coffee, man. Um b- because they were so good and raised my expectations so high that I thought, oh man, when they get to money in the bank and they're gonna start out on the first floor, they're gonna make their way up to the top of Titan Towers and if it's half as good as the you know the Boneyard match and Firefly Funhouse, it's going to be phenomenal, and it didn't even come close. Huh. There really was no storytelling. It was nonsensical slapstick, in my opinion. It didn't really get anybody over. It was ha ha yuck yuck. Isn't that funny? Let's put Paul Heyman behind a he's a, he's a big guy, so let's put him behind a, you know a buffet table and put a pie in his face. Let's have Doink the Clown you know pop up out of the corner like a jack in a box. It was silly, you know, and, and if that's what they were going for, they they knocked it out of the park. But, you know, Money in the Bank, to me, you know, one of the things I like about the idea of Money in the Bank, or at least until this past one, is that there were legitimate stakes. Everybody's competing for that briefcase because within, within that briefcase is an opportunity to get a, a title shot anytime, your call, under any situation. That conceivably has real value and is worth fighting for and rather than taking it seriously and weaving it into a story that was at least plausible it doesn't have to be like a documentary for crying out loud but at least allow the audience to suspend their disbelief and get sucked into it don't offend them don't pull them out don't unplug them with silliness and they did the opposite they Plugged them into the silliness. They didn't take it seriously. That means there were no stakes. Nobody's going to take that seriously. And it was a waste of time, in my opinion. Really, really interesting comments there by Eric Bischoff. And we uh, can hear all of these thoughts and uh, a lot of lookbacks to the stuff that you uh, you have done throughout your career by listening to 83 weeks, uh, every, each and every Monday is when that drops. You and Conrad Thompson do a, a great job with that. Has that podcast lasted longer than 83 weeks now? Uh, let's see. I think we're up to 108 weeks. So, yeah, we're doing pretty good. But, you know, what people need to, to remember is, you know, we've got you know, 83 weeks of head-to-head competition. There was a lot of things that went on before we started going head-to-head that we talk about during mm-hmm. 83. We don't just talk about those 83 weeks. We talk about really the Monday Night Wars from the very beginning in 95 to the very end, at least for me in 2000, 2001. So there's a lot more to talk about. And every once in a while, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on TNA or we'll touch on my time in WWE or we'll talk, you know, about AWA, for example. You know, it's one of our, our more popular shows was talking about my time in AWA. So we, we, 
we bounce around a little bit, but you know, pretty much we're talking about Monday Night Wars. Well, Eric, thank you so much for the time uh, this afternoon. I really appreciate it, and uh, best of uh, continued success to you guys over at 83 Weeks. Joe, thank you very much, and when all this crazy corona shit is over, I uh, hope to get back and do another live show in St. Louis, and we'll get together, and I'll retell that Carmen Electra story for you, and like I said, I don't have many. i got to keep the ones <laughs> I got secret. Absolutely. 100% understand that, Eric. Thank you so much. All right, buddy. You be well, and uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. That was Eric Bischoff, our guest here on Weekend Joe, driven by Munganess St. Louis Acura. Hey, that interview was sponsored by the Inskip Law Firm. Recent events have shown that life can turn in an instant, and that's caused many people to realize that estate planning is essential. The Inskip Law Firm is here to help with everything from trust and wills to power of attorney, deeds, and probates. Hey, they also have systems in place to service your needs without having to have an in-person consultation. Corey Inskip offers flat fees so that you know what you're paying ahead of time. And they'll make the whole process easy for you. You can call Corey at 314-818-0344. That's 314-818-0344. At the Inskip Law Firm, they'll decide together what services are right for your situation. Remember, the choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertising. Take a break. Come back. Jay Jr. is with me and Andy right here on Weekend Joe Driven by Munganess St. Louis Acura. This is Weekend Joe, driven by Munganess St. Louis Acura, right here on ClavesOnline.com. Hey, have you thought about uh, buying or selling your home here in St. Louis? Well, Kevin Miller with Caldwell Banker Gundaker, he can help you out in doing so. Been selling and buying homes for well, a few decades now. You can call him at 314-503-4999. That's 314-503-4999. That's Kevin Miller with Caldwell Banker Gundaker. <laughs> And welcome back into Weekend Joe here on Claves Online. We are driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura. Andy Hanselman joins me for uh, this interview as we go out to the phone line and we welcome in our good friend Jay Randolph Jr. Jay, you're quickly becoming the golf guy here on Claves Online, and I'm going to guess that's something, that's something that you don't, don't mind, mind uh, doing. Uh, doing. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, you know how my, I feel about Claves. And uh, appreciate you and uh, my man Andy, and love talking golf with you. Well, uh, Jay, let's start off with what we saw last Sunday the uh, at Seminole. I, I can't believe that there is a course out there that you haven't played, and Seminole is one of those. What did you uh, What did you think of the course? What did you think of how everything uh, went on? Uh, what was it? NBC. The the course lived up to. My expectations, I, I do think, unless you're on property there with uh, kind of the wind and, and being so close to the ocean in certain cases that, that you don't get the full sense of it. But I, that was what I wanted to see, Joe and Andy. I mean, I've been very fortunate and played just about everywhere I want to uh, or been everywhere where I wanted to go as it relates to this great game of golf. But to see Seminole was why I was tuning in. I think, you know, everybody was excited to just see live people playing golf uh, and, and live coverage. Um, but, 
it didn't really work, I don't think, um, that well. I, I think a lot of people watched, and I'll be curious to see what Andy says as a golfer. I watched the four, first four or five holes. I was enjoying Seminole, but I, I got to a point where I just wasn't really enjoying it. Um, you know, I could find something else to do other than watch it, and I did. And having Bill Murray on made absolutely no sense. Um, it, it just was goofy. Dustin Johnson looked like he'd, you know, now normally he does anyway, but he looked like he'd rather be on his couch. Rory tried to, to put some energy in it. The finish was goofy. But you know what? I guess it's better than nothing. It was absolutely better than nothing. Um, I, I did the same thing, Jay. I think I watched the first four or five holes, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm a, I'm, this is this, this golf course is absolutely beautiful, and I, I'm glad I get to see it. Uh, but you know, they had all the overhead shots where you actually got to see it, and you kind of got the idea of of the undulation and the greens. Yep. But you knew that it would be commercial heavy because of the only four guys playing in one group, and they had to fill the time to go uh, to go take. Uh, you know, to, for those guys to walk with, and they filled it with commercials, a lot of commercials. And then um, the ending was goofy. And then, uh, aside from Bill Murray, they they had they had Trump on as well, which was even goofier. And Mike Tirico had a great interview with him, but it was just goofy. I'm like, what in the hell is going on here? So, I mean, overall, it was an enjoyable experience to watch it. And and I I also like like UJ, I, I enjoyed seeing Seminole uh, presented like that. Um, but the, the, the overall format, I don't think worked very well either. Jay, this, uh, this upcoming weekend is when we have Tiger, Phil, Peyton and Tom Brady and they, uh, what, what course are they playing again? They are playing a course that's near and dear to my heart, the Medalist Golf Club in Hope Sound, Florida, designed by Greg Norman, designed by Pete Dye, designed by a bunch of different people over the years that have reworked it. It's the home of my lone hole-in-one, the fourth hole at the Medalist Golf Club in Hope Sound, Florida, about a 190-yard par three. It's a fantastic golf course. I don't want to say it's an exclusive golf course like Seminole because it's not. But you kind of have to know somebody in a sense, um, and and you know it, it it's renowned for its practice facilities. A lot of guys live in South Florida, and and call the Medalist their home and play out of there. So again, we've got a, a golf course that'll draw interest, and I think that there's no doubt that they're going to learn a lot from whatever that was last weekend. Um, you know, I, I think there needed to be more interaction with the players. There will be, trust me, Tiger and Phil will will smack talk. Uh, Barkley is going to be part of the broadcast. You've got, you know, four of the most iconic professional athletes in the last 30 years that are going to be together on a golf course and competing. So I think this will be um, a little better set up. They've, they've seen what happened the first time, go, first go around. They're going to let the guys do carts. They'll move it along a little quicker in a sense. I think it'll be, I think it'll be much better. And, and you know what? When you say Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson, you're going to get every golfer and a lot of uh, 
a lot of casual sports fans who've seen these guys win major championships. And then you've got, you know, two of the greatest QBs of all time. Jay, I think also that, uh, like, I just kind of echo what you said, that I think that the the personalities are really going to shine on this thing on Sunday. Uh, they, they picked Peyton Manning and Tom Brady for a reason. Uh, they, they're both, you know, they're both loud. They both like to talk. They're both, they're both kind of fun guys. And golf, of course, the golf community knows, you know, the, how much uh, smack talk Tiger and Phil can talk with each other. So I think I, I'm looking forward to, to Sunday. Uh, you're right, after what happened uh, this past Sunday. Well, the other part of it, Andy, is you remember the first match, Tiger and Phil. Yep. And I think when everybody got done, we felt like, oh, okay, that was nice, but I don't know that we need to see that again. But I think the scenario we are in, especially with the tour trying to get a little bit of a kickstart because they're going to start in a couple of weeks down in Fort Worth um, and, and keep the interest in the game, which we're seeing at the golf course level, at a, at a high pitch level. I really think this is, this should be, if, if this doesn't come across real good and it's weird, then we, we got a problem. When the when the actual PGA Tour starts back up, they're going to be doing it without fans, and we're going to see these broadcasts that, you know, right now we're just following around four golfers. But when an actual PGA Tour event starts up, you're going to have golfers on every single hole. Do you think the broadcast is going to be elevated then to something that we haven't seen in years past with a gallery full of people. I mean, the, the access there and the ability to, I, I guess, just go wherever, whenever to, to show off all these golfers when, when there's nobody around. Joe, they, they, they've announced that the first four events will be without galleries. There'll be limited media situation. There'll be limited volunteers. Um, limited staff from the PGA Tour. And I think that that aspect of it is all a work in progress. I mean, uh, you know, it's going to have to partly be um, what happens, where we're at. Uh, you're talking about now mid-July when they'd be looking at, at possibly letting fans in or maybe a certain, only a certain number of fans. But, you, you know, you got to look at the other side of it. Think about the economic impact. Think about the days you were out at Bell Reeve and saw all those corporate tents and the masses of people that went to the merchandise center. I mean, that's one thing that I, I'm surprised hasn't been quite discussed as much is uh, with the loss of revenue, is the tour footing the bill? Is the sponsor footing the bill? Is the sponsor getting a reduced rate? It's going to be very interesting to see it all play out. And the hope is everything's safe that that first four weeks and there isn't some form of a outbreak or a player that tests positive or, you know, it's, it's all uncharted waters. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it, Jay, because it looks like some of the big names – are going to be uh, are going to be teeing it up the first few weeks uh, of the PGA season. 
or the, the restart of the season, I should say. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts on on what some of these big guys are going to do? Well, you you got some guys that are chomping at the bit, ready to go, ready to get after it. I think a guy like Rory is one of those. Now Rory's over here uh, in the United States. I saw Lee Westwood make a comment about some of the bigger events coming up, and and at least now I, I'm not sure what the regulations were. But I think they were a 14-day quarantine if you came from England here before you got involved. That I don't know. I think that because the tour, Andy and Joe, when this whole thing happened, was down in Jacksonville, Florida, and a lot of those international players were gathered in the United States, a majority of them have stayed in the United States, played, practiced, and are kind of waiting for the tour to get back. But you'll also see some guys that may give it a couple of weeks, see how the tour handles things. It's going to be interesting to see what guys play and what guys don't. You know, Jay, you mentioned the uh, the corporate tents. You mentioned that. When when a player, I mean, when the purses are are set for these events, are those... How are those figured out? I, I have a question leading uh, after that, but first, how are how is the prize money determined for each of these events? Is it is it media? Is it TV revenue? How 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 do they uh, come up with the number? In in the majority of cases, and at least the way it was, you know, four or five years ago, Joe, um, the sponsor kind of footed the bill for the purse. They were the one putting up the purse. Uh, the tour was getting obvious, you know, just the, the tour, they're not going to have any pity parties for the tour. I mean, it's, it's a, a gargantuan organization that likes to keep very quiet about their incredible amount of wealth and the best retirement program in the history of the world. Um, and, and Andy wondered a little bit why Donald Trump would, would be on that broadcast. And the PGA Tour is an extremely, extremely conservative and uh, organization. And Trump is obviously involved in golf and ownership and things like that. But, you know, I, I, I just, it's, a lot of it's a little unsure. You know, just hearing people talk about some of the rules in baseball, Joe, I mean, you're going to be able to hold a guy on first base or you're too close to him. I mean, six feet apart in a dugout, uh, it's, it's, it's all going to be um, kind of a, a dry run. And, and uh, you know, I, I just hope it goes safely. You know, I think we're – as somebody who's been out amongst – a lot of people because of my position in the golf industry, um, you know, you kind of get a little lax sometimes and, and things start to seem back to normal. And then you look at the damn news and you, you know, you want to, you know, beat your head against the wall. So you, in a sense, you don't know what to believe and you just got to do whatever you got to do. And I think that'll be the case with the players and, uh, the rules officials, I mean, there's a lot of people. It's almost like a mini city when a PGA Tour event comes to a golf course, but it can't be that way for a while. 
And that was my question. With no fans allowed in attendance, how is that going to affect the revenue that some of these tournaments are bringing in? Or, in a sense, will it matter with TV deals and sponsorships? Joe, I think it's it's not going to matter to the tour initially. I think the question's going to become, depending on the situation, if, if you have a major company and you've had to lay off workers and you've had to make cuts and cutbacks, do you really need to spend 5 to $10 million to put your name on a golf tournament? Um, but golf's in a good place. And, you know, all that's going to shake out depending on how long this goes. I mean, you know, you, you and I know people that have been affected because sponsors have, have had to stop advertising because they can't. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, the tour as an entity will be okay, but you wonder at some point if the corporations are going to say, um, Hey, we got to we got to cut back on some of our spending to tighten things up a little bit. Jay, moving back towards the towards the local picture, uh, uh, what is the state of golf in St. Louis right now? Uh, I've been out a lot. I've seen a lot of people out. Uh, I'm assuming it's very good. It's it's almost stunning, Andy and and, and Joe. Um, the situation with people either being out of work or not working or working from home. Um, I had a feeling when, when this all started that golf might find a little bit of a place because of its outdoor nature, uh, because of a little bit of escape from reality, uh, that it might be, you know, a, a hot item. And we certainly saw it initially in Missouri. Andy and Joe, uh, the restrictions were much uh, less strict, if you will, uh, in Missouri than they were in Illinois. Uh, you know, you can debate how the, our governor, how Missouri's governors handled it, how Pritzker's handled it, you know, that's all the political stuff. But it, it was a difference in the golf industry, um, and it still is to a certain extent, but a lot of the situations in Illinois are starting to loosen, and the numbers are staggering and Andy you've played uh, so you're seeing what I'm talking about and uh, I think everybody is doing everything they can to be as responsible with the social distancing the way you're paying the single rider cart situation what they're doing with the flag sticks Um, so I, I think that it's it's at least for now been proven to be a pretty safe place for some entertainment and some exercise. That was my follow-up. I was going to ask, you know, I, I've seen a few instances of people gathering in the parking lots after their rounds, having a beer, or, you know, wrapping up or finishing the beers that they that they bought for their round. Uh, but for the most part, I haven't seen a lot of it. Have you seen mostly people following the rules and what, you know, and the, and the guidelines set up by the CDC? Absolutely. Um, 100%. And, and, and you're right, I've seen kind of a similar situation, and in a sense, it, it doesn't bother me because 
you know, I'll give you an example. There, uh, there were eight guys, senior golfers, that had brought their lunch and had bought uh, a couple of six-packs and pulled out their lawn chairs in the parking lot. <laughs> well, you know, because of the, the way the laws are written and the fact that if you uh, do not follow those, you could alter the whole situation for golf facilities or properties or different stuff like that. We had to ask these guys to, to break it up, you know, and go to somebody's house. You can't do it on a, on a business parking lot. Um, but, you know, to me, maybe they weren't six feet apart, but, but they're just trying to have some sort of discussion with each other and a cold beer before they head home. You know, I I hope we're getting to that point, um, and and it's going to take time. But as, I, as your question, Andy, I think people are paying attention. Jay, as we uh, as we circle back to the event this weekend at the medalist on TNT, Tiger Woods and Peyton Manning against Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady, uh, is there any way that you can? handicap or predict who's going to uh who's going to win this and then on top of that i i want a throughout your life i want a dream matchup of a pro and a celebrity versus a pro and a celebrity because that's what we are uh we're seeing or i guess a professional athlete or, or golfer pro golfer and pro athlete versus pro golfer and pro athlete similar to what we have if you could have picked your own well that's a good question there Thank um, you. It's the only kind I ask. Well, <laughs> he don't play now. On claims online, um, he, he, you know, I I don't think you can handicap the match. I think there'll be variations of it, and and there might even be side bets. I I, I think they're going to try and have fun with it. Um, you know, I, uh, Tiger's a great match play player. Uh, you know, you don't know too much in terms of the 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 moxie of. Brady and, and and Manning on the golf course, but you certainly know about it on the football field. Um, I'll tell you what, you you guys both know that I, I've been lucky enough to play golf with Michael Jordan, who's the biggest S talker um, that that there's ever been, and not just on the basketball court, maybe even as heightened on the golf course. I also got to play, and speaking of Claibs online, I played with Mike Claiborne and Marshall Falk at, at the course I grew up at, Glen Echo Country Club. And you'd have thought Marshall was playing in the United States Open. I mean, he was grinding on every shot. He wasn't talking. He wasn't interacting really with Claibs and I. He was there to play golf. And, and it kind of gave me an insight into him of how he went about it. So I'd love to see Tiger Woods and Michael Jordan take on Jack Nicklaus and Marshall Falk when they were all at the top uh, of their best. Because I, I look at Nicklaus like a grinder, like a stare-a-putt. You know he's gonna he's gonna stare long enough to make the putt, make the ball go in the hole. 
and Falk was that way. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I, we got to the fourth hole, and I looked at Claves, and I said, uh, is he in a bad mood? <laughs> oh, he's really crying. I said, all right, okay. So that, that would be my uh, get-together. Yeah, if uh, you bring Sarah B. along, and Marshall probably would have lit up a little bit more. But uh, that's a... Uh... <laughs> Uh, Jay, we'll let you go. Um, I, I guess by the time this airs, um, it'll be it'll be Saturday morning. So where uh, where will you be working the Memorial Day uh, weekend? Which course will you be at uh, this weekend? I will be, and and pretty much moving forward because you know I've I've kind of set Normandy in motion. My man Mike Denton and my my son are actually kind of hmm. running the place, so I'll be a gateway. I'll be seeing Andy out there a bunch, um, and uh, Saturday morning, bright and early, brother, five thirty, Gateway National. Now I can find the best price for tea times by calling, and also calling to see if it's raining there. Correct? Not not calling anywhere where I'll be. The best rates are always online. There are <laughs> apps on your phone, even though it doesn't matter because they don't know what they're talking about. That'll tell you the weather. My best suggestion on the weather: walk outside, look up in the sky. And Brock, you're at nine thirty at at, at uh, Gateway. What'd you say, my man? Brock, you're ready at nine thirty at Gateway. I'm out of the Brock business there, so <laughs> the, the, the girls will have them ready, by, probably by nine o'clock, my man. Oh wow, that's exciting times! <laughs> yes, yeah, so much as always. You got it, boys. You guys take it easy, and uh, always good to be on Claves Online. You're listening to Weekend Joe now on ClavesOnline.com, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura, also sponsored by the Collinsville Auto Body. Collinsville Auto Body, 911 North Bluff Road in Collinsville. Sponsor of, uh, well, my many shows on many different platforms for about 10 years now. Collinsville Auto Body, they'll work with most insurance providers to get you back on the road fast. That's 911 North Bluff Road in Collinsville. Collinsville Auto Body. <laughs> And welcome back in here to Weekend Joe, driven by Munganess St. Louis Acura here on ClavesOnline.com, and now exclusively on ClavesOnline.com. We go back out to our guest line, and we welcome in St. Louis's own, as she is uh, well trying, and I, I'm actually talking to her right now post-run, as she's trying to uh, keep qualifying for uh, the Olympics, uh, finished 10th in the most recent qualifying. She is Julia Conan, and she joins us now. Julia, what's going on? Not much. Just like you said, just finished her run, enjoying some coffee and this nice weather today. I, I had to get up at, uh, I, this is the first day that I set an alarm in the past nine weeks to wake up and work out this morning. <laughs> as I, uh, I knew I had about four interviews to do today, and I went up to the uh, to the track and did bleachers and sprints at 6 a.m. So uh, how many miles did you just finish doing? There you go. That's a good workout. Um, today is one of my lighter days because I have a workout tomorrow and a long run Sunday. So I did 10 miles this morning. <laughs> I it was it was your post on Instagram a few weeks ago that made me want to reach out to you because 
I am. I'm a few weeks away from being uh, from the one year anniversary of my uh, ACL surgery. I had ACL surgery back in June. It's the uh, I've torn both of them now. And it was this past one that I was like, okay, you know what? I'm really going to get dead set on running and doing a lot more. So I, uh, I, and I did, I've done a few races since then and I'm shooting for, you know, I usually shoot for about a hundred miles a month in running. And I think it was after April, you were already at 1500 for the, uh, for the year. Yeah. I'm, I'm about close to 2000 for the year now. (laughs) Good Lord. I, so how many, I mean, what does that come out to miles a day? Um, so right now, the last few weeks, I've been doing anywhere between 95 and 105 um, miles per week. So I guess that's about 15 a day um, with a Sunday, a little bit longer on Sundays. I, so I know when I have to go and plan out my my runs, I kind of look at, you know, what the weather's going to be like for however long I, I plan to do. I mean, but that's, you know, a couple days a week. And I know I have a, I have a few short runs in there. So I, that the planning around that just has to be insane that you are planning your days around just going out for two, three hours at a time. Right. Yeah. So you, it is a lot of planning because I know that I have to get a double in. Um, if I'm doing a hundred plus, I'll have to double two to three times a week. So I'll go and I'll plan my morning run. So I run every single morning, rain, sleet, shine around 6am. Um, today was one exception since I'm off work for the day. So I got to sleep in and start a little bit later. Um, but yeah, regardless of whether it was cold or raining um i do my morning run at 6 a.m and then that's the planning of the doubles comes in after that depending on how many miles i'm getting for the week and then like how long my sunday long run is uh you just got to do some calculations i guess like every sunday i kind of try and plan it out for the next week do you uh, do you go ahead of time and plan out like routes so you're not bored by the same one every day or how, how do you how do you plan that um, well, luckily I have a couple other guys, um, on my team and they, we've kind of kept to the same schedule and we still meet and even did during like social distancing, we would do kind of like more of the social distance running and, um, we would still meet in the morning and kind of have our loops around forest park, or we would have a loop to the arch that we do. So we have like three or four pretty common loops that we do. And we would just mix those up based on the day. And it, it's really nice to have people that you know are going to be there. So I would say most days I have at least one or two people to run with. Um, and that's helpful too. Oh yeah. I can't, that's been uh, the, uh, the weirdest thing is just you go out now and you're seeing so many more people out running that are just, you know, going out for a walk or a run or a bike ride. And it seems like there's more out now than there ever, than there ever have been just because people are looking for an excuse to leave their house. Yeah. And that's the one thing you can do. I mean, you can't go anywhere. So and do with gyms being closed. I know that's hard for people who are trying to work out and get some exercise in. So the, the one thing you can do is go walk outside or go for a run. <laughs> now, when, uh, when I told Claves that I was going to have you on my show, he, uh, he started talking about your, uh, your basketball skills and started, <laughs> uh, bragging about and talking about how good of a basketball player you were. So how, how did the running come, come about? Um, yeah, back in the day, it was a while ago when I played um, basketball. So I played with his daughter in high school, and we I played for Incarnate Word, and we had a pretty good team. We won state my senior year, and um, I went, then I went off to college, and I had to 
kind of I was really into soccer and basketball at the time and played both of them um, for club um, for my high school travel teams I did it all for soccer and basketball then came college I kind of had to narrow it down to one chose soccer um, went to University of Southern Indiana played four years of college soccer there and then kind of my ended up going back for a fifth year because the track and cross country coach recruited me to use my fifth year of eligibility um, on the track and cross country team, which at the time I didn't really know that was a thing, but he was like, yeah, you can use your fifth year in a different sport since I already used four years of soccer. And that's how it all got started. And so when, I mean, with being a soccer player, obviously going back and up and down, up and down, you built up that endurance. But when you actually get out there for, whatever you know the cross-country runs were and you get out there and you realize okay I have the endurance I have the speed for this when did that click um yeah so I never thought when he approached me to be on the cross-country and track team I had never thought that I'm like yeah I'm in shape I ran for soccer my whole life but not just running like I've always run um for like a ball or with a team (laughs) um but then he kind of just started like walking me through the ropes of, Hey, this is your cross country training and the different, um, racing aspects of it, which is a totally different sport. There was so much more to running than I thought. It's not like you just go out there and go for a run. There's tactics, there's things you have to know. And it was, um, a a big learning jump for me the first uh, couple months into it. But yeah, my coach, my college coach, uh, Mike Hillier just really walked me through the steps and I ended up, being more successful in one year of cross country than I was in four years of college soccer. <laughs> so how many, uh, how many marathons are we, are we at right now for you? Uh, four. Only four. Really? Um, okay. Well, if you count Boston 2018, then that's five done five, I think. So I did Missouri cowbell, Chicago, twin cities, Boston, and the trials. Yeah. The trials was the fifth one. It's, it seems, I, I, so is it just your, I mean, with all the miles that you get in, is it just so much training or when you actually are doing, you know, when you're doing the qualifying runs for the Olympics, are they shorter distances then? Um, so with marathoning, it's pretty hard on your body. So my coach really doesn't want me doing more than one or two marathons a year. And mm-hmm. I got into the sport pretty late. So I didn't start. I didn't do my first marathon until 2016. Um, so I've haven't, I've only had three, four years of marathon training under my belt, which is not that long compared to a lot of girls out there. Um, and yeah, so we would do a lot of half marathons, but, and 10 Ks and different races building up to it. But really he only wants you doing one to two competitive marathons a year. Uh, so you've so you've done a lot of the the halves and the and the smaller ones just to is that I mean for for that I mean a half marathon that's just speed work for you right? Uh, half marathon's pretty tough because that's still one that it's it's long, um, but and you so you have to pace yourself, but you also have to go a little faster because a marathon you got twenty six miles to get in the groove. This one's over in thirteen, so. Um, that's one that still is, I would say tough up there, but then when you get to the 10 K five K that's when more of the speed work comes in. 
when you say get into the groove now talk so we we talked about this a little bit before we we jumped on as i was telling you i've i've gotten into running a lot my plan i i've already had and i, I want to ask you about this too i have had six i think half marathons already canceled on me this year that i was planning on uh on running i imagine you're you're probably in the uh in the same boat but i ran my first one back in january and when I show friends of mine that also run my times, I, they always are saying that, you know, I, I don't have the negative splits or, or whatever. I, I guess I'm doing it all wrong, but I still get out there and I get the miles in. When you say getting into a groove, what are you talking about? Um, I think really with the marathon, that's what you, you want to do. You have to like, if you're out there and you're each mile, you're going back and forth and back and forth and fast and slow. Um, it's just going to throw your body out of whack. Like my main thing is I just want to get in there, get comfortable, set my pace and try and stick with that pace until you hit mile 20 or so. If you're feeling good at mile 20, then you can start to take off a little bit, but you want to feel relaxed and easy to get to that mile 20 part. Cause that's either you're going to make it or break it at that point. <laughs> See, I just make little competitions with myself with people around me that I don't know, that I just try to keep passing people with every every mile, or I focus on one person and I'm like, okay, by that, you know, by that mile marker, I'm gonna pass that person. So I just kind of like make little games in my own head when I run. Which is probably good, but that's also probably what your friends are saying with the negative splitting. <laughs> if you're gonna go out super fast for the first half, then you're not gonna negative split the second half. <laughs> <laughs> That's and yeah, so I I still haven't gotten that part down yet. But how so? How many how many races have you had canceled already in 2020? Oh gosh, um, I had after the trials. I had I was going to do some local ones um, in the area in March. So I had like two in March. I think one in April. I was going to do a big half marathon in June. Um, another race May, and then one in July. I've had probably like at least anywhere between five and 10 races canceled. And some of these races I was kind of banking on for prize money. So that's a bummer too. <laughs> <laughs> you're yeah. You're so, I mean, when you're up there, like when you sign up for these, do you have an idea of other people that have signed up for where you will finish and, you know, getting that, that prize money? Yeah. Usually um, for races, I know what kind of, like what kind of race it is so if you are going to see some of the other professionals there um you know who the elite girls are um you know like I'll go into most of the races knowing a good idea of like hey there's some really fast girls here or hey I have a chance to to win this thing um just an idea I mean obviously you never know you could have a good day you could have a bad day anything can happen on race day but um usually I try to go in knowing what kind of race it's going to be I had that, so I did. Um, I, I did just smaller five Ks. I did the uh, the Our Lady of the Snows five K, and I finished. And I went and looked at the results, and you know how it shows up there. I'm sure for you, it says you know first in your age group, first in your first women's those. Well, it popped up there that I was first in my age group for the uh, for this five K, and I had no idea what it meant because I had never done one of these and never finished first before. And yeah, you don't get prize money for finishing first in the, you know, 
30 to 34 men's <laughs> age group, but still I got a medal out of that now. And then looking at all of these other races that I was running in, I was kind of looking, okay, you're look at what, you know, 2018, 2019 results were, and you kind of try to figure out, all right, can I get a medal for this? I'm sure you probably do the same in your research for some of these races. Yeah, that's, um, that's exactly it. Like <laughs> what you're doing is like looking back at the past year's results and being like, okay, who won it last year and what, what did they run at this time? And you're like, okay, I can do that. Or I got to run this fast if I want to, and you know what the past years have been. And then you also kind of try and see who signed up, who's running. If you know any of like the big names that you're running against. And you see, for me, just looking at age group only, I find myself running and looking at other men and thinking, okay, how old is that guy? Is that guy competition? <laughs> Do I need to pass him? Can I let him go? So yeah, I've, I've, that's, that's become part of my, my game while I run too. Those are the guys that you're trying to pass during the race. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, if I see a guy running by me and like, yeah, he looks like he's in his twenties, he can keep going. That's fine. You know, that's that I'm not worried about him. That's not competition. So you're, you're saying 2,000 miles already this year. Uh, Shoe-wise, how many shoes are you going through, like, every month? You're going oh, through every month, right? Yeah, I go through quite a bit of shoes. So I, ha I mix it up. I don't wear the same shoes every day. Um, I have shoes, like, I would say, like, probably three, three pairs of trainers that I'll use for, like, everyday runs and just kind of mix it up in between those. And then I have a pair of shoes that I'll use for, like, shorter workouts or speed workouts. And then I have a pair of shoes that I'll use – for like my long runs or my marathon pace workouts where it's like longer workouts at a faster pace. Um, so I have about at least like six pairs of shoes at one time, but I cycle them out so that I'm not putting all my miles on one pair. And then you have your race day shoes, I'm sure too, right? Yes. And those you save for race day, save those yeah. miles. It's kind of like a car. You can't, you can't wear out the miles too much. Well, they got to match the outfit too, right? Well, you got to kind of ma match the outfit to the shoes because sometimes the shoes are hard to get the colors you want. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, absolutely. I've, I've noticed that uh, you, you have to find, yeah, you want to find those that are going to match and then you go and you pick the clothes out based on that. So what, uh, what are the, I, I guess, obviously Olympics are the, the main goal here uh, down the road, but what are some other goals that you, you have when it comes to the distance running? Um, yeah, so I want to just keep competing at the highest level. Um, three, so in, end of 2017 is when I first qualified for the 2020 trials and just like hitting that qualifying time. I was like, wow, I never thought I'd qualify for the trials. That's cool. And then end of 2019. Um, so two years after that, I qualified again, but my time standard went up by seven minutes and ranked me in the top 25. So just to see like that kind of improvement in two years of just putting in the work and then going to the trials, being like ranked 25th, I thought, okay, maybe if I finish top 50, it'll be a good day. And I finished top 10, which surprised me. So just seeing that I can compete with these girls, I ran with some of the, like Des Linden and um, Kellen Taylor and all these like pro professional women and big names. Like I was running next to them and, in the trials. So my goal really is just, just keep competing, like go to these big marathons, go to these big races and see how much I can hang with these other girls. And you know, something like running, you have a set time that, you know, you have to catch. So when you're so right now, 
what do you, let's just stick with the half marathon. You know, you, you say you run a lot of that. So what are you running a half marathon in? What's your, what's your best time? Uh, so I ran an Houston half marathon this January. So about a month before the trials and I ran one eleven. Okay. So, you know, you know, how do you get from one eleven to one Oh five? Like how, or I guess what is, what would the goal time be? And how do you, how do you get faster at this point? Yeah, so definitely my next goal in the half would be start running sub 110, um, and which is pretty good for a woman in rankings-wise and stuff. So, And that's it. Just I think it's been consistency. I mean, two years ago, I re- was running 115 for the half and thought that was good. And then the following year, I ran 113. And then this year, I ran 111. So I think it's consistency with the training. Um my coach Jason has been like incredible and in just writing my training for me the last few years, knowing what I can do and setting those goal expectations and then put marking my training around where I want to be. Um, I don't think you're going to shave off five minutes and a half marathon. In one I went year. too far. Yeah, I went too far. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wish, <laughs> but yeah, it's just like incorporating the speed work and the strength and the miles. Um, and just being consistent, I really think is the key. So how, I mean, being a, a runner, how are you missing being able to be inside of a gym during this or has it really not affected you that much? So I, um, a lot of like being a runner, it's awesome that we just get to walk out our door, put on a pair of shoes. And for people that like live and die in a gym, like this sucks for them. Like they can't get to their gym. That's their routine. Um, I was still going to the gym three, four days a week and I love going to the gym. So I'm missing it, but I'm also so grateful that like I have running, I can walk out my door and go for my run, which is my normal routine. Um, still every single day. So I'm super grateful for that. Yeah, I miss the gym, but I'm able to incorporate body weight stuff and um, some lighter weights at home. And that, that's been nice. So I am, uh, I'm planning on running a half by myself this weekend. So give me some tips on uh, what I, I, what I've been doing, all the races that have been canceled of mine this year, I'm still going out and running the 13 miles those same day anyway, just to keep myself in that, in that mindset. So give me, give me some tips on how I, I get those negative splits. Oh, that's exciting. Good for you though, for keeping up with all those races. Cause I know a lot of people are losing motivation and it's hard when you don't have races. So just that's bored. impressive. I'm just bored. <laughs> the only, that's, that's all I have. It's video games, recording interviews and running. So uh, yeah. <laughs> at least you're keeping active. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so half marathon, if you want to negative split, you got to go out in an even pace, start out where you're feeling good, make it through mile eight, nine. Then if you're feeling good after that, you can start picking it up and taking off, but don't go out and kill yourself the first few miles because then the last 10 or you're just going to hate it. <laughs> All right, Julia, I'll, uh, I'll look at that. And, uh, it's either going to be Saturday or Sunday morning that I, I go out and do it depending on the, uh, depending on the weather, but I'll, I'm going to try. I'm going to shoot for those uh, those negative splits and see where we uh, see where we end up on it. Yeah, I would suggest going for the day that the weather looks nice, too, because that'll make it a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> What's the I mean, what do you have limits on what you will not run in at all? Or I mean, when you're putting in that many miles, does it just not matter at this point? Um, I think after running Boston 2018, the year that 
everyone talks about as the one of the worst marathon weather in history. I think after surviving that, I can run in anything <laughs> um, because that was just that was brutal. Yeah, looking back, I probably should. I think a lot of us would say we wish we wouldn't have it ran in that race. Um, but so yeah, I mean, ideally you want weather conditions of. 40, not too humid, not too rainy, but you're never going to get the perfect day. You say 40? Yeah, 40s for marathon and half marathon, that's <sighs> kind of ideal. That sounds it's, so cold. <laughs> it does sound cold, but your body will appreciate it. I'm definitely, like, for my easy runs, I like it warmer, but when it's a marathon or half marathon, the 40s is where you want it. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm I'm really trying. Julia Conan, thank you so much for jumping on with us and uh, best of luck with your continued success. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This was fun. That's Julia Conan here with us on Weekend Joe, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura here exclusively on Klaibs Online. And hey, also Klaibs uh, Online sponsored, uh, Weekend Joe sponsored by Collinsville Auto Body, 911 North Bluff Road in Collinsville, right off of 255, uh, right off of 55, I should say, and 255 right there in Collinsville. You get off the highway, you turn left right there at Collinsville Auto Body. They'll work with most insurance providers to help get you back on the road fast, Things opening up, a lot more people getting on the road, and well, accidents are bound to happen. Council Auto Body will get you back on the road fast. A uh, longtime sponsor of everything that I have done, it is the fine folks at Collinsville Auto Body. We take another break. When we come back, Demetri Young, the meat hook, he is our next guest right here on Weekend Joe, driven by Munganess St. Louis Acura. Weekend Joe, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura here on ClabesOnline.com, now the exclusive home of Weekend Joe. Hey, St. Louis Acura has received the Precision Team Award 28 times more than any other Acura dealership in the United States. They have been serving the St. Louis area since 1986, located at 13720 Manchester Road in St. Louis. They are your premier realtor of new and used Acura vehicles in the nation. That is Munganess. St. Louis Acura, the title sponsor here of Weekend Joe, now on ClabesOnline.com. And welcome back in to Weekend Joe, driven by Munganess St. Louis Acura here on ClabesOnline.com. As we head back out to the guest line and uh, welcome in. I mean, this this guest right here fell into my lap yesterday, and uh, I uh, I got to tell you, I'm really excited to talk to him. And I think we've already been talking for about 10 minutes and decided we needed this hit record before we wasted more of the good stuff. He is a uh, former St. Louis Cardinal, actually uh, number four overall pick in the uh, draft. What did we say? 91, you said? Yeah, 1991. 1991. That is the voice of the meat hook, Dimitri Young. Dimitri, man, what's going on? How are you? Hey, Joe, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm staying at home. I'm in Southern California where they, they really had that stay-at-home order. And they're starting to reopen everything, but I'm a high risker being a type 1 diabetic, so I'm staying my butt in the house. Uh, it looks like you have a nice uh, little setup behind you. We've uh, we've been doing a uh, segment, a weekly segment called uh, Off the Wall here on Klabes Online, and we might have to bring you back in a week or so to uh, show off some of the stuff that you have on your wall behind you. Uh, I got to say, so 
the the whole way that we got connected this past week it has nothing to do with the uh with the baseball world in fact it has to do with the wrestling world and nobody that listens to me is going to uh, be surprised when they hear that but you are doing a, a podcast you've just started doing a podcast that brings together the world of wrestling and the world of uh, of baseball right Yes, it's called Wrestling with Sports with Dennis Farrell and former major leaguer Jason Kendall. And we just, we're all wrestling fans. And so we just sit there and we talk wrestling. We also talk sports and we talk about what's going on with this pandemic and, and how sports is being locked out for the time being. And, and when things open at, back up, what's the new normal going to be? So we've been talking with different wrestlers and baseball players and, um, you know, I really love it because I grew up a wrestling fan, the Hulk Hogan rocking wrestling and then watching NWA and, and, and seeing your your buddy um, Joe and part of an animal and the Road Warriors and Dusty Rhodes and the Four Horsemen. You know, I was a big wrestling fan all the way to this day. Yeah, we'll uh, we're we're gonna jump around for sure uh, as we uh, as we talk here between wrestling and uh, and baseball. But let's I mean let's start with the baseball. As you you know you longtime major leaguer, what you're seeing now, how do you view it? Being a former player, knowing what some of the you know negotiations are probably going to be like, how do you view what these players are about to go into? Well. Well, I talked with um, Jason Kendall on our show about, you know, it kind of reminds us of 9-11 when we had that go down because I was in Chicago. Well, I was playing with the Reds and we were in Chicago playing the Cubs and one of the buildings that was supposed to be um, one of the targets was the um, the, the um, John Hancock building, which was right beside the hotel that we stayed at. And so we stayed there a couple of days, then we took a bus back to Cincinnati and we just had to wait it out until – everything was fine and that's basically what's going on right now and we know that everybody's chomping at the bits and wanting to get back out there but we have to play it safe first and foremost so that we don't have a second outbreak and things like that happen but you know for the most part as a fan you know i'm chomping at the bits and i know you are to get get sports back going and and baseball in particular for me because I coach on the amateur side and everything's been shut down. So I hadn't been able to coach, hadn't been able to do lessons or anything like that. So I'm looking forward to it to open back up. Yeah, I was I was all set to go to Cincinnati for opening day, Cub, or Reds and Cardinals. And I, I've been to Riverfront one or Great American Ballpark one time uh, the last year. I went there, made a, a pit stop on our way to the All-Star Game in Cleveland. But just the, the fact that I missed out on getting to see opening day in Cincinnati, that hurts right now, man. I mean, you, you were a part of it. You know what, how special that is. Yeah, open, opening opening days in general are, are, are special, but the one the one that they have in Cincinnati because it's usually the first game of the year, and then they, they go all out. You know, the people are out, and 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 they they make it a big deal because it is a big deal. You're opening up a new season, and with the Cincinnati Reds being the oldest team in professional baseball, of course, they they want to do it big. And then having the St. Louis Cardinals, one of the biggest rivalries that the Reds have. And Cardinals being possibly the most the smartest fans in baseball. They know their baseball. They know when to cheer. They know when to boo. That was one of the things I appreciated when I was a Cardinal. 
Was it, I mean, so that's, you know, that's something that really has taken over the, the Cardinal, I, I guess the wave Cardinal fans are viewed these past, I would say two decades, but back when you played too, you, you felt that same way. That's how it was. I mean, wow. We'll play against teams and let's say, let's say I hit a ball to left center and the left center makes a dive and catch. They're not going to sit there and boo and talk crap to the guy that made the play. They're actually going to stand up and acknowledge that that guy made a great play. So the Cardinal fans were always big in a just good, solid baseball. Play the game hard, play it right, hustle down the line, you know, don't show up the other team. They, it's a lot of respect with that Cardinal baseball and coming up through that organization, I learned how to do everything. I knew how to hit and run. I knew how to bunt. I knew how to get the runner over. These are important things that you have to do in baseball. And on top of that, playing third base, first base, and both corners of the outfield. So I was well-rounded in the sense of knowing where I had to be and knowing what I had to do. Who were some of your coaches when you were coming up through that Cardinal system? What were some of the names that, uh, that fans would know? Let me see. Well, when I got drafted, I went to Johnson City, Tennessee, and we had um, Chris Maloney. He was a coach with the Cardinals for a while. He was my first Niger Hammer, and Joe Cunningham was his assistant coach. His, his father, Joe Cunningham, was longtime Cardinal, and um, Ted Simmons was our, um, our um, player development guy, Hall of Famer, Ted, um, Ted Simmons. Um, Bake McBride was there, Mike, Mike Ramsey, Joe Patini, um, Johnny Lewis was a hitting coach, instructor Dave Ricketts, um, Rick Mailer, um, did I say Bake McBride? Yeah. Did I say George Hendrick? I don't think you mentioned him yet, no. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, I had George <laughs> Hendricks as a hitting coach. God <laughs> damn, boy. Yeah, I used to love George Henry. I used to imitate him in that because he was so soft-spoken, but well-spoken at the same time. But, um, yeah, you know, when, and, and I had a bunch of guys that, as coaches that played in the big leagues and they knew how to transfer that information to the younger players to give them that. Because you have the talent, but you got to have the mentality to play in the big leagues. And that's what I learned a lot of being in the car. Oh, I cannot leave out. The late great George Kissel. Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. George Kissel was the man. So I mean, you're you know back in the minors, and this is you know kind of I, I, I've talked about this a little bit, and I, I want to hear from a pro player, a former pro player, what it's like because back in the minors you're not playing in front of huge crowds. When you're in Johnson city, you're not playing in front of 40,000 people, you know, and you're coming to from high school or college ball where again, you're not playing in front of a huge amount of people. So when it comes to baseball, you've been in a situation before where you're playing in front of empty stadiums or a hundred fans. So when you, when, when we start baseball back up and we hear about these ideas of playing in empty stadiums, for a baseball player, is that really going to be that hard of a transition? It's not going to be a hard transition at all due to the fact that when baseball players were growing up, there was really nobody going to high school games or, or college baseball games or little league games. You have your parents and a couple of friends or whatnot. They didn't have pep rallies in high school for baseball, so we didn't have to worry about that. And then – I don't know if you've been to um, any spring training games. Sometimes they have what's called a B game, 
and a B game starts at 10 o'clock and, and it'll just be guys from whoever they're playing. It'll be like younger minor league guys, number 60 on up and they'll play and there's nobody there. And then at one o'clock, that's when the big leaguers will come out and then they'll play their spring training games. Or if you're at the minor league complex and you go to those backfields, guess what? There's nobody back there. You just have you'll have a GM. You have all the front office people there watching and like, okay, we're gonna cut that guy right there. Or all right, we like that guy. Let's trade him to somewhere else. But other than that, you know, we have to, we have a job to do out there. And granted, we love the fans out there. Love the fans. Love the energy that they bring both at home and on the road because if you're doing something good and you're on the road, they're booing the hell out of you. And when they're booing the hell out of you, that means you you was kicking their ass when when you was going to that place. So for me, I don't think it's going to be tough for those guys to make that transition and and playing with no fans at the beginning and then gradually start bringing them back in. But we we just need the sports back playing like they're doing in Korea right now. Yeah, and, and, you know, with baseball, that's one thing, but you and I both being wrestling fans, have you watched Raw or AEW or SmackDown with these past few weeks? I mean, I'm, I found myself just kind of checking in here and there, but it's not appointment television anymore. You know, uh, for me, some of, some of it is hard to watch, but some of, actually, AEW, because they do have the heel side and the, and the, <laughs> and the, um, and the baby face side wrestlers, sitting there cheering and stuff and then i like impact wrestling i like impact the way because they had their lights flickering all over the place so it always seemed like there's something going on but with wwe both smackdown raw and nxt it's just there it's kind of dark and for me it's hard to get into i find myself you know going on my phone like a like i'm a teenager or i'll go take a bathroom break during a braun Strowman match you know, it's, it, to me, I, I, it's hard for me to watch the WWE products, but I'm loving AEW and and Impact. Yeah, it's you know we uh, we had Eric Bischoff on the uh, on the show earlier today to talk about Dennis Rodman, uh, but I, I did have to ask him. <laughs> I had to ask him about that too, and he said outside of uh, the um, outside of the graveyard match and the Firefly Funhouse match, he said he can't watch any of it. Yeah, it's tough. So right now, I mean, what are you guys talking to? Uh, what wrestlers have you guys had on the podcast? Uh, we had uh, my buddy Rhino. I, I got to know him during my time in Detroit. Uh, we talked to Tommy Dreamer, Michael Elgin, and uh, Jeffrey Scott from Impact Wrestling. Very nice. So you guys, uh, and then the uh, the baseball side of things too, or I guess sports side of things. I mean, there really are so many. I mean, you go through a clubhouse and you know which guys, you know, there you you see some of the wrestling shirts, you see some of the guys that are, you know, that that are, you know, especially around big wrestling times, they'll be talking about it. You know in a clubhouse yeah. who the wrestling guy, who is the big outside of you because I see I see the figures that you have behind you in the the setup right now. Outside of you, who is the biggest wrestling fan that you played with? All right, it's, this is going to be a tie between Danny Graves and Sean Casey. Really? Yeah, both of them huge wrestling fans. Matter of fact, in 1998, we had NWO Hollywood t-shirts and Hollywood Wolfpack t-shirts. Uh, NWO, um, um, we had those t-shirts going. Half the team were wearing 
those t-shirts and I was part of the wolf pack. Yeah, too sweet. And we had Goldberg and DDP come to the locker room back in 98. And Goldberg took BP. He was a left-handed hitter. And he was just, when guys are too buff to hit, they can't swing. And he couldn't swing at all. I think he barely got a ball out of the infield. But I don't think anybody was going to sit there and talk trash to Goldberg at that time either. Have you have you seen Braun Strowman hit a softball? No, I have not. You haven't. Are you familiar with his background in that? I just know he was a big power lifter. I didn't know he was a long long, um, softball dude. He wasn't. So his dad is a Hall of Fame slow-pitch softball player. I guess his uh, name is Crusher. His nickname was Crusher. And then I got his last name. It starts with an S. I'm going to have to look it up here. But on, uh, on Strowman's Instagram the other day, he showed himself just hitting off uh, softballs off a tee. And it's, I, I mean, he puts it, he puts it 400, 500 feet off a tee with uh, the, the swing and the, uh, the way he gets those wrists around. So, yeah, his, his name was Crusher Shear, S-C-H-E-R-R uh, is his dad's name. And oh, you go man. back and watch highlights of his dad from, I, I guess, 20, 30 years ago. The man, the man put on a show that, uh, I mean, somebody to put, I mean, it would be like watching Adam Dunn take batting practice. Yeah, that was fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> But yet, so so yeah, Strowman does it, and I mean, shows his hitting skills off. But that's a guy you get him in a baseball field, and that man could probably put on a show too. I bet, I bet he could. But I bet you he can go upper deck to at a lot of places, and <clears throat> no telling yeah. what he can do with a baseball if he's doing that with a softball. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll send you the video here when we're uh, when we're done with that. So now you so you were what was it Survivor Series two thousand five that you were backstage. That's correct. So you well, just, not only backstage, I, I had a uh, speaking role against Edge. So, but you never, you never got in the ring and took a bump, right? Uh, no, not in WWE, but I did it in Cincinnati at Heartland Wrestling Association. Okay. They had it at um, Peel's Palace, right outside of Erlanger, Kentucky, which is right across the bridge from Cincinnati. And a wrestler by the name of Prince Justice and I, we had um, a little confrontation. And um, I had one of my baseball bats, and I hit him in the stomach with it, and then I gave him the stunner. You <laughs> might know him today as either Chris Park or Abyss. Really? Yes. <laughs> that is so. But you, so you gave him the stunner. You didn't get yeah. thrown on your back at all. No, no. I didn't get hurt. I, I was in season. I can't do anything <laughs> during the season. <laughs> That would have been you. You could have been on those lists, you know, with Jeff Kent and Carlos Zambrano, guys like that for their uh, the injuries, or John Smoltz ironing his own shirt. Yeah, you you could have been on a list like that if uh, if you would have gotten in there and gotten hurt. Yeah, that would have been an embarrassing injury. So so you've never so that's the thing I was going to ask if you've ever tried to take a bump or tried to learn how to uh, how to fall like that. I've done it one time. Uh, when I was with Animal at the uh, the Super Bowl in Minnesota, we went. I took him up there to do Radio Row, and then we did an interview with Ken Anderson. Uh, Ken, Mr. Or Mr. 
Yes, sir. I know. We went to his uh, we went to his wrestling <clears throat> academy to do an interview with him, and we did about an hour long interview with him. And then he has the ring set up in the middle of this academy. And I told him, I said, I've never been in a wrestling ring before. Can can you give me a quick little a, a little lesson in there? I had no clue what I was doing in there. <laughs> I couldn't even figure out how to run off the ropes. <laughs> that I know how to do. They showed me how to do that. I got the because it's like step, step, turn. Right. Step, step, turn. Step, step, turn. I was afraid to. I was afraid to do a fall back. I was like, <laughs> it's like jumping in the deep end of a pool. I was like, I don't want to do it. Yeah, and you just, you have no. I mean, it, it's something that looks so easy to do. I mean, it's running and bouncing off a you know bouncing off a, a rope, and it really does take a lot of. Uh, it takes a lot to learn how to do that, and I could not figure yeah, that out. And it hurts right up under the um the, the yes. cage when when you bounce off. It's not it's not like a bungee cord at all. I thought it was a bungee cord when I first did it. Yeah. Wrong. No, that is just hard steel that you're going a steel rope that you're going up against, and then having to learn how to fall on your back to where just your shoulder blades hit. It uh, it gives you a real appreciation for that. Oh, definitely, definitely. So I, I hate when I hear people say, "Hey, don't you know it's fake?" I was like, "That's not the point. It's like it's a male soap opera. It, it's storytelling, and then." You have to be an athlete and you have to be coordinated to be able to do what they do. You can't just go in there and act like you're punching and stuff. You're, you're telling the story and, and a lot of people don't realize that. And I, and I argue till the cows come home about that. I, cause I grew up a wrestling fan and I know what it takes for them to do what they have to do. And there's a lot more training that I had to do when I was playing baseball. Have you been watching the, uh, the Dark Side of the Ring episodes that come out every week? Hey, that last one made me cry a lot. I haven't wa- I I I don't know if I can watch that one. Knowing the stories that I've heard Animal tell about it, and now seeing what has come from that, I don't know if I can watch an episode on the death of Owen Hart. It, 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 <sighs> it was real. It, it was real tough to. It was real tough to watch. I never met him. Like I said, a big wrestling fan, and and just seeing some of the backstory of what happened and. Hearing his wife and his and and his oldest son, um, OG talk, it was just like, you know, you, you just hear the memories and and you you just hear everything that she did to, to get to the bottom of it, and and then seeing the the little thing, the harness or whatever that held held him on to, it was just like wasn't professionally done. It was just like something that couldn't couldn't happen, and it happened to somebody that everybody revered. Yeah, I, the, uh, the so the episode before that was the Road Warriors episode uh, with Animal, and you were yeah. talking about throwing the uh, throwing the punches. I know you guys are going to have him on your your podcast soon, but he likes to tell the story, and I think they told it during the uh, the Dark Side of the Ring, where he had to learn how to throw a punch, and they uh, that Ole Anderson just sent him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they sent they sent him and Hawk into a bathroom and just said, go punch and kick the stalls until you get it figured out <laughs> because you need to stop hurting people. <laughs> I'll tell you, they're real intimidating. And it was funny watching, watching them. And they had the, the village people look at the beginning until they changed into the, <laughs> the, the shoulder pads with the spikes and stuff. I was like, Ooh, that's a tough look, but yeah. yeah. 
Oh, and I'll I, I give them a hard time every because we uh, every now and then people will send us old old video before he was Animal when he was Joe Lauren and he's running around the ring in green tights, green uh, short short trunks, <laughs> with his with a terrible mullet back from the you know the early eighties and it's looking at those those are those are really uh, fun to watch. So do you have do you have a a wrestler? A, a guy that you really want that a, a I guess a white whale a a guest that you really want to get on this podcast. Oh my God! You know, I, you know whoever, whoever I get, we get on is always special to me. I always lock up whenever I talk to to the um, professional wrestlers. Um, I went to T, um, TNA Impact back in um, 2009 when I was still with the Washington Nationals. I was rehabbing it. Um, Vieira is not too far from Orlando, so I would drive over to Universal Studios quite a bit and met Kurt Angle, Jeff Jarrett, met a bunch of the guys. But the only the one person that I just really just was like, ah, uh, uh, was Sting. Really? When I, when I met Sting, it was just, and, and Sting was just so, I mean, he was just, he was just a kind man. He was, he was talking to me like we knew each other for a while. Meanwhile, I did, uh, and Scorpion Splash, and, you know, <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember him from way back when he was in UWF with um, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert and Rick Steiner, and then he went to uh, NWA and he fought Ric Flair in, cl- in the first Clash of Champions that forty-five minute draw, and then watched him turn into the Crows thing, and then didn't jump to WWE when WCW got bought out, went to TNA, made a name for himself there, or made a name for Impact, not a name for himself, because he was already a name. And then when he finally made it to WWE, it just kind of sucked that he was 0-2 and, mm. and lost to Triple H. I thought they, he should have won that one in, um, in um, WrestleMania, though. But have you ever, is definitely the guy. Have you, uh, have you gotten to go to a WrestleMania? Yes, I went to the one where Brian, uh, Daniel Bryan lost in 31 seconds to um, Sheamus in Miami. Okay. To so that one. I was going to say, being a baseball player, that had to be hard because, you know, that's right when you guys are trying to transition from spring training to regular season. So it, I would imagine that was post, uh, post-playing days. Yes, it was. Yeah. So I, I figured that would be the, uh, the case. So, all right, so we're, we're talking uh, – so you said it was – the uh, the white whale then was who? Sting. Sting. Okay, so that's yes. that's the guy. And you could probably pull that off. I mean, between you and Jason Kendall, you guys have you you guys have connections to to get that to make that happen. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we do, but we both will admit that we probably burned a couple of bridges along the way. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? Wrestlers have done the same thing, so you guys have that in common <laughs> as well. <laughs> Well, uh, Dimitri, man, hey, when baseball starts up again, we need to uh, we need to get you back on and actually talk some baseball. Do you ever come through St. Louis anymore? No, but I was scheduled to come out there uh, in September. This was before the pandemic started and make an appearance a, a weekend out there in St. Louis and talk with the fans, do an autograph signing or whatnot. I don't know if that's still going to happen or not, but I was looking forward to coming out there. My aunt lives out there in St. Louis, I have a couple of high school friends that live out there and um, like to catch up with them. What was that one of the uh, the Tuesday night bobblehead nights or what was uh, 
Uh, it was uh, it was supposed to be like September 11th. It was supposed to be that weekend. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so I would love to have a St. Louis Cardinal bobblehead. I have um, a Detroit Tigers and a Washington Nationals one. Uh, no Reds. No custom. I had people custom make them for me, but no, nothing from Cincinnati. <laughs> All right, so before we let you go here, we have a, a segment that we do with the uh, our sponsor, the Inskip Law Firm, called Open Her Up. Now, you uh, you were telling me you were you're a big card collector guy. You used to have one of the biggest collections uh, around, right? That's correct. How many were in that collection? Well, biggest as in what what it really pertain to and it was PSA 10 rookies and if anybody know what PSA is it's professional sports authenticators and they grade and they're car graders and they grade the cars based on the condition the eye appeal the edges you know if there are any imperfections on the card and I had PSA 10 which is the, the perfect card and I collected rookie cards and I had rookie cards dating back from St. Louis's Stand the Man Musual all the way up to my brother, Delman Young. And I had wow. pretty much every rookie that was graded in a 10 in there. I had um, Bob Gibson's rookie, had Pete Rose's rookie, had Roberto Clemente's rookie, Hank Aaron's rookie, Reggie Jackson's rookie, Ozzie Smith's, you know, all the way up. So that was my collection. And I sold it off in 2012 to SCP Auctions. and. Part of the proceeds went to my foundation, which serves as a bridge between kids that can play but can't pay and opportunities to go to camps or get on travel ball teams or whatnot. Very nice. We have, uh, so I have here, uh, it's still in the plastic. I'm taking the box out of the plastic, 93 tops, uh, series one cards. So I, I am say I wanted to save it for a uh, for a good guest to have on to take the plastic off, and we're doing that with you, Dimitri Young, as we uh, we just take out one of the packs. What are there? There's probably what twenty some, thirty some packs of cards in here. Thirty six counts in here, so fifteen cards. I'm gonna open this up, and I'm gonna guess since this is from '93 that there is somebody or a few people in this uh, in this pack that you probably have some stories about. So I want to hear. All right. <laughs> you made, so you made your major league debut in what? 94, 96, 96. Okay. So yeah, we're going to have, so you won't be in here, but some of your teammates, I'm going to guess are going to have uh, some cards in here as we open this uh, pack up. And look through. Did you ever have a Jordan? Did you ever have a Michael Jordan baseball card in your collection? No, I didn't waste my time with that one. <laughs> I went through with the last dance. I went through and looked to see if there were uh, if I had it in mine, and did not find it in there. But uh, I would say the the card that I have that I am uh, happiest with that I have in my collection is the Billy Ripken, the famous Billy Ripken card. I do oh, have that. Oh, with the bleep bleep on the yep. bottom. Of Yep, yes, with that, it's clear, clear as day. You can see the word "f face" right there on the uh, on the bat. So uh, here we go. We have the uh, we we have the '93 card. I have a Ray Sanchez Cubs card right there on the top. Willie Randolph. Did you ever play for Willie Randolph? No, but I've actually worked with him since we've um, since I've been done playing and. Um, you know, what a, what a smart baseball man he is, you know, very knowledgeable. And, you know, we, tra you know, 
we trade information because I like talking hidden. He's about fielding and, and being on the same page as your players. And me coaching high school, you know, I like to be on the same page as my players. Uh, Sandy Alomar with the, uh, with the Indians. Oh, here's uh, Moises Alou. Uh, Moises Alou with the Expos. Well, we weren't teammates, but um, he was just one of those guys that, you know, you watch him play and you just have mad respect for him. And that goes for Sandy Alomar Jr. as well. Uh, Mike Perez uh, with the Cardinals got a tops gold card of Norm Charlton uh, with the Reds. Craig Wilson, Chad McConnell, a 92 draft pick. Oh, here, Mike Sosha, a uh, Mike Sosha <laughs> with the Dodgers card. Oh, that's good. I, I coach with him now. Um, coach with him doing the breakthrough series um, last summer and also um, the Hank Aaron Invitational. He lives probably about 30 minutes away from me. And um, met with him many times. He also has a team. It's called the Canelo Oaks. It's part of the California Collegiate League team. And I coach, helped coach that team back in 2017. Oh, here we go. Ray Lankford. That's a great man. He let me um, stay at his place when I um, first got called up to the big leagues. And then I eventually moved in with my other teammate who I coached with, Royce Clayton. And um, and let me tell you about Ray. You know, Ray, Ray. I'm gonna tell you this is my um, this is my first paycheck story here. And um, so you know, you get to the big leagues, and the one thing that everybody knows is you get paid good dollars. But there's a pay scale, and I'm a rookie. And at the time, our you know the league minimum was 109 thousand. So you know, I get my little check. It was like I want to say 7,500. I've never seen a check that big before. I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. I'm like happy and stuff. And Langford's locker is like two away from mine. And I just happened to glance over. And he had come over here, Rook. And I go, look. And I looked at his check. I was like, oh, oh. It was like six figures. I was like, oh. He said, yeah, you keep, you keep doing what you're doing. You're going to get one of these. And I'll never forget when I got to Detroit, and this was after I signed my four-year deal with the, the Tigers after getting traded from Cincinnati. I got one of those checks, and at the time, I don't even think we – I think we didn't even win a game at that point. I think we were 0-11. But I got that check, and it was the same as what Ray had when, when I saw it as a rookie. I just, I sound like Rod Tidwell from um, Jerry Maguire. Woo! <laughs> That kind of sound like Ric Flair, too, doesn't it? <laughs> but that's how I felt when I saw that check. I was like, you know, I finally made it to this point. And guess what I started buying? Baseball cards. The PSA 10. <laughs> and how about this? What are the odds of this? The last card in the pack, a 1992 Jason Kendall rookie uh, draft. Oh it's not even a rookie card. Oh, Oh my God! Yeah, you got. You might want to send that to Dennis to get that signed by Jason here, and Jason to sign it and give it back to you. He's, he's will... not too far from you. He's in Kansas City. Oh, he he still is. Yeah, he he lives there now. Okay. Yeah, he, yeah, he lives. In, he, you could probably drive it to him. <laughs> <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll, I'll hit up Dennis uh, for that. Dennis, your co-host, of course, of the uh, the new podcast. Give it a plug one more time, Dimitri. Yes, it's called Wrestling with Sports with the host 
Dennis Farrell, and co-host myself and former big leaguer Jason Kendall. All right, we will be sure to uh, look at that. Hey, enjoy your uh, enjoy your conversation that you guys have with Animal whenever you guys are able to uh, set that up with him. And I look forward to uh, having you on more when uh, when baseball starts back up, man. This was a blast. Oh, most definitely, Joe. And I'll have to open up. Um, a, oh, I got a pack of cards here too. We'll do that next time. Absolutely, sounds good, Dimitri. Thank you. Hey, you're very welcome, Joe. Take care. Just absolutely phenomenal stuff there from the meat hook, Dimitri Young here on Weekend Joe, driven by Munganash St. Louis Acura here on ClabesOnline.com. Uh, we uh, we want to thank our sponsors here, and one of those being Kevin Miller with Caldwell Banker Gundaker. You can give him a call, 314-503-4999. That's 314-503-4999. Kevin Miller also has a uh, nice little website. It is smartmovestl.com. That's smartmovestl.com. And there you can find all of the, uh, the homes that he has for sale right now that he's showing around. And he will uh, will help you uh, buy or sell your home, even during the, the time of this uh, pandemic. Kevin Miller is there to serve you. He puts the customer needs first. Your needs are Kevin's needs. And uh, the man barely sleeps. The man barely sleeps. You text him. He texts right back. He is uh, all about helping you, the customer. That is Kevin Miller with Caldwell Banker Gundaker, another great sponsor here of Weekend Joe. Take a break, come back, and wrap things up with some crack slippers right after this. It is Weekend Joe, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura, here on Claves Online. Recent events have shown that life can turn in an instant. This has caused many people to realize that estate planning is essential. The Inskip Law Firm is here to help with everything from trusts and wills to power of attorney, deeds, and probate. They have systems in place to service your needs without having to have an in-person consultation, flat fees so that you know what you're paying ahead of time, and they make the whole process easy. Call now, 314-818-0344. Just a quick chat and you decide together what services are right for your situation. That's the Inskip Law Firm, I-N-S-K-I-P. And remember, the choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertising. Final segment here of Weekend Joe, driven by Munganass St. Louis Acura. Welcome back in here on ClabesOnline.com. Joe Roderick, Andy Hanselman here with you as we wind down on this weekend's episode, a uh, Memorial Day weekend episode. Andy, I know you said you were golfing. You got any uh, plans grilling, smoking, cooking, anything like that this weekend? Yeah, I was going to run down to the uh, old meat locker uh, here in town and go pick up a pork butt and throw that in the uh, in the smoker. And maybe a couple other things too, and definitely grill some burgers and stuff. I got uh, I got wings that I'll probably throw in the smoker, and uh, some uh, what I've been really enjoying. I've been picking up in bulk are the jalapeno cheddar sausages, those uh, Johnsonville oh, yeah. sausages or whatever. Yeah, so I've been doing a lot of those. My uh, my local butcher shop has some homemade ones that are really really incredible, really really good stuff. Yeah, so that's uh, I think that's my plan for. This uh, this weekend, and, you know, d- d- talking with you and Jay about golf uh, a while back, it, it reminded me, like, I still have not picked up a golf club since uh, since my surgery. 
Yeah, which was in June of last year. June of last year. We're uh, four weeks away from the uh, from one year of the uh, from one year since surgery. Yeah. Could you have picked up a golf club by now? Oh yeah, yeah, I, I definitely could have. I've taken I've taken some practice swings, uh, baseball wise. Of uh, whenever I'm working out in the garage, I have some bats that are just sitting there. In between sure. sets, I'll pick up a bat and I'll just take a few swings just to see what that's like. Because as you know, I've talked about it before. So I uh, the ACL I tore was in my left leg, and I swing left handed. So that is my turn leg. That's the leg I'm putting all the torque on. So that's uh that that's you know where that's the only issue i had with that but i'm hoping that softball i get to play a little softball this year and also this past week andy i uh, my the uh, alumni baseball game that i put on at alton high school every year uh we had to we announced uh, this past week that we're pushing it back to um august of this year well, that'll so, be exciting. Hopefully, I can be involved with it. I know I have a, I have a lot of events coming up in August, but uh, I would you know I've always enjoyed being part of that event in the past. Yeah, and I, it, know, I know that your I know that your alumni really enjoy having a uh, an Edwardsville, uh, the Edwardsville contingent hanging out there. Yeah, we try not <laughs> to bring that up. We uh, we try to kind of hide that, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, they all people, know. Yeah, they do. They all know. Yeah, they all know I'm Coach Waldo forever. <laughs> yeah 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 but yeah we uh so we you know had um we pushed that back but whatever i, I mean if as long as everything keeps opening up or hopefully opens up hopefully that's uh something that could go off without a hitch this you know, something uh, else that i year. saw you know everything's getting pushed back you know the the belmont stakes is being run at its normal time i believe on june 19th or maybe june 20th Somewhere around there. So it's usually the last leg of the Triple Crown uh, in horse racing. And this year, it's going to be the first. And then, uh, you know, of course, then the the uh, the uh, Kentucky Derby is going to be Labor Day weekend. And then the, oh, what's the second race? Why am I blanking? Uh, the uh, Preakness. It run, uh, runs out in Baltimore at Pimlico. Uh, that'll be later on in October. So a little, you know, everything's getting moved around. So if if you can rearrange horse racing, which, which is strong and steeped in tradition, the uh, the Alton alumni baseball game is going to be just fine too. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, as I yeah, I, I my race that was canceled in uh, Louisville is supposed to be the week before the Derby, as they just moved everything to uh, to that. So I guess that'll be in August. As well, they haven't rescheduled anything for the uh, for the Seattle run yet either. So that's one that they haven't they haven't thrown up there at all or thrown on there about possibly uh, about when they could possibly change that one either. So still uh, still kind of waiting on when that uh, when that'll be. Um, Andy, we uh, we got to do some crack slippers here to wrap things up. Uh, if you uh, if you would do the honors. Some stories just aren't meant to hit the mainstream news. We picked those stories up here on Weekend Joe. These are the Crack Slippers with Joe Roderick. Thank you, Andy. We, oh, um, yeah, uh, so I, I don't know if you saw this, uh, but Mike Tyson posted a video of him working out. Did you happen to see that one? 
I saw that he posted the video. I saw some folks talking about it, but I did not actually see what was going on. So, well, Mike Tyson posted a video. Mike Tyson, by the way, so there is a um, there is a pay-per-view this weekend for AEW Wrestling, All Elite Wrestling, and Mike Tyson is actually going to be part of it. Mike Tyson, they are introducing a new championship belt to All Elite Wrestling. This is a uh, wrestling company that their weekly shows are on TNT. They, uh, they are owned by Tony Khan, the son of Shad Khan. And uh, they have... Um, they have a pay-per-view called Double or Nothing this weekend. It was supposed to be in Vegas, but instead it's going to be in Jacksonville, Florida, where the Jaguars are based. And they have like a little theater that they've been putting the shows on each and every week. And one of the matches is called the Stadium Stampede, which is going to take place, I believe, in the stadium that the Jaguars play in. So that is one of your uh, one of your main events oh, wow. for, uh, for that. But yeah, Mike Tyson is going to present the champion of the TNT title with uh, with the new belt. So uh, you would imagine they will have Mike Tyson do something that will make headlines, right? Yeah, I would imagine so. Like like announce a comeback. I I'm thinking more. I, I, this is the rumor I've seen swirling around. There is a uh, there is a person, a wrestler by the name of MJF who is a huge heel. He's a bad guy, Andy. And the uh, thought is that uh, he's he's just kind of in a class of his own as far as how hated he is with the stuff that he does and the way that he kind of acts. There is talk of possibly having an interaction with Tyson and him, knowing that it would lead to a lot of headlines. But I digress. The uh, the reason why I bring this up is because Evander Holyfield also has posted a comeback video, Andy. Oh, no. And yeah, you, you can't talk about Evander Holyfield without talking about Mike Tyson. And Andy, they're in the initial stages of an exhibition fight. Stop it. Just stop. Will there be biting involved? I, I don't know. I am not can sure. You can you hear that? That's me biting. No, that's I didn't hear that. No, I didn't pick that up. <laughs> Evander Holyfield spoke with the Daily Mail this past week and said, Mike and I talked once about having an exhibition. From that point on, his, peop uh, his people have spoken to my people. We're not at that point where we are at an agreement, but there have been conversations. Why do they even talk to each other? I mean, Mike Tyson bit his ear off 23 years ago. It's forgiveness, Andy. Forgive and, you know, you, you move on. People grow. Joe, if you bit my ear off, I would never talk to you again. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got to meet. I, I had Evander Holyfield on in, uh, in Atlanta two years ago at the Super Bowl. So I got to, uh, I got to meet Evander Holyfield. That was, uh, that was a really cool moment to have him on. Did you see his partial ear? Well, I mean, you, Andy, you can't miss it. <laughs> it, reminds, that's... it reminds me of, of the old SNL skits with Will Ferrell uh, playing Harry Carey, asking people if, if they'd rather like eat cheese from the moon or have their ear bitten off. 
That was a yeah. If uh, if you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? Was that the? Uh... <laughs> if you were a hot dog, would you eat yourself? Yeah. <laughs> so they're going about eating about if the moon was made of cheese, would you eat it? <laughs> right. Hey, I'll tell you what. If we survive, if we all make it through all of this in 2020, I think we all deserve to watch Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson box. All right, I'll bite. I'll go on with it. I, I, you'll bite. I, I get it. Funny. <laughs> Very punny. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Andy, um, I, I, this isn't so much a crack slipper. I think this has been in the news. I'm sure you've seen this as we, uh, as we get set to wrap things up here. Um, a, a sad story from the world of wrestling as a wrestler by the name of Shad Gaspard, uh, who was formerly with the WWE. He had been doing indie wrestling, had moved on to acting, passed away this, uh, this past week as he was, um, he was out at the, uh, he was out at the beach at Venice beach this past, uh, this past week. And I, I guess there was a group of people when a, a, a riptide came through and he basically sacrificed himself, saving his 10 year old son, having the lifeguards make sure that his son was safe and secure as a riptide grabbed him, took him underwater and took him out to the ocean. Uh, and then a few days later, his body washed up on the, um, in the ocean, but just a, um, you know, a final act of a father saving his son and putting his life literally on the line to do so. I, I got to say, I don't know if you've read much about this story or if you've uh, looked into it at all. I never had the opportunity to meet Shad Gaspard at any of the wrestling events that I went to. He was a very entertaining character uh, with his tag team partner, Crime Time, or with his tag team partner, JTG, as they were the group Crime Time. And... He, um, every single thing that has been written about him and tweeted about him or posted about him, it, it seems that this is, he, he was one of the nicest, most stand up guys that the wrestling world has seen in a business where Andy, there's a lot of a-holes that, that are in wrestling. And there's a lot of people that I've heard stories about and, you know, that's that's not something every every story prior to his death, too, that I heard of Chad Gaspar just seemed like one of the nicest, most sincere guys possible. And to die saving the life of his son is uh, it's just unbelievable. Yeah, you know, you, you hear stories like that all too often um, with someone you know sacrificing themselves to, to save their kids. And uh, it's, you know, the, the whole situation is just awful and sad. And to hear that it happened to such a to such a good giving guy. Uh, like Shad, then, uh, you know, it, it makes it, it makes it that much worse. Yeah. So, uh, you know, thoughts and prayers go out to, uh, out to him as I have, uh, I've seen just so many tributes to him and everyone, I, it just, it seems like it is the, um, it, it's just the same story about how he, his face would light up when he would see somebody, whether they were friends or not. He, he just seemed like such a great guy. And for, for those that aren't wrestling fans, if you're a video gamer, I believe his body was used as the image, or I guess they scanned the image of his body for the video game God of War. And I know that he most recently was in the movie last summer, Birds of Prey, with uh, that was the Harley Quinn spinoff to the Joker movie. 
Okay. So yeah, he had gotten into uh, he had gotten into acting as well. So that will uh, that'll do it for us, Andy. Next week on the show. I uh, I've already arranged uh, set up an interview with Greg Warren, the comedian Greg Warren, uh, set to join the uh, the show next week, and I uh, I need to figure out you know some other ones to uh, to throw on there as well. But that's uh, in my mind that's a uh, that's a good start to have St. Louis's own Greg Warren on the uh, on the program. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. So uh, so we'll have him on uh, with us next week and. We will uh, we'll go from there and see what else we can bring you. But we look forward to a uh, to another uh, fantastic radio program. Lots of stuff coming up on Klabes Online. Hopefully, you join us uh, Monday. We'll do lunch with Klabes and Joe. I got Benjamin Hockman on Off the Wall this uh, this Monday. So uh, lots of uh, lots of good stuff coming oh, your are way. You, are you doing it on Memorial Day? You're gonna push it to Tuesday for uh, which one? Lunch with Joe and Klabes. Haven't talked to him about that yet. I probably should. Yeah, I probably need to push it to Tuesday. Yeah, we'll see what uh, we'll see what Klaibs wants to do. I'm sure Klaibs is barbecuing or smoking something. Probably, probably is. But uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll run it by him. See what uh, what he thinks he wants to do, and we'll. Uh, well, I didn't even think of that because I know I'm not really doing anything much of anything uh, special on Memorial Day, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll run it by there and we'll, we'll see what he has to, uh, he has to say. So for Andy Hanselman, I'm Joe Roderick. We uh, will talk with you uh, next Saturday. Have a, a great rest of your weekend, everybody. Weekend Joe driven by Munganess St. Louis Acura here on uh, ClabesOnline.com, now the exclusive home of Weekend Joe. Hey, St. Louis Acura has received the Precision Team Award 28 times more than any other Acura dealership in the United States. They have been serving the St. Louis area since 1986, located at 13720 Manchester Road in St. Louis. They are your premier realtor of new and used Acura vehicles, in the nation that is Munganess, St. Louis Acura, the title sponsor here of Weekend Joe, now on ClabesOnline.com.